Hey, good evening. You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. Uh, sleep with me is proud to present Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you have to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is create a safe place. We talk about Game of Thrones every Sunday, or we have for the past 50 one weeks, I think. And uh, so it'll be 52 weeks coming up here uh, next after episode 10. And if you don't listen to Game of Thrones, you could try this out. It probably will still put you to sleep, but you don't have to listen. We have other episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays that aren't Game of Thrones related. But here's what I do. I create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, whatever's got you up, whatever has your mind bra- b- bracing, I said. But yeah, whatever has your body bracing and your mind racing and your face, you know, twist of facing. And, you know, you, if you have a pacemaker, it's pacing. I feel like Willy Wonka. Am I growing? Am I growing? Is this podcast off track going? But uh, oh, Yeah, I did get off. But I'm going to try to distract you for whatever that is. If you have a, a Wonka voice in your head, you say, well, geez, I don't know if it's a Depp or a Wilder Wonka. You say, Wilder Depp, pleased to meet you. Yeah, I'm a designer of hair products and candy. Candy candy flavored hair products. Yeah, went out of business, but uh, yeah, it was Wilder Depp Corporation. It was around for four months. Until so they said, you can't eat that and you can't, it, it's very sticky. Is that, well, that was one of my failed businesses, as I'll be honest with you guys. But we here at the fiction Wilder Depp Corporation have restructured our business, and now we're offering instead of hair products or candy hair products. And I say, geez, well, how are we going to sell the last of the inventory? Are we going to say it's candy or hair products? See, spackle, candy spackle. Oh, well, brilliant! You're fired. <laughs> Not that I was mad about that. Fired from my own company, one man company. But but we here at the Wilder Depp Corporation, or Depp Wilder, you know, depending on what, you know, if I'm saying, I'm feeling a little more Wilder Depp, I think, is a little more tongue-rolling. But we've restructured our business, and now we, instead of candy-related hair products, we sell a little bit of something called patented transboredom experience. And you just, I'm going to try to talk about Game of Thrones in a lulling way. A soothing way with a lot of, you know, slow right turn, slow. Hey, geez, I didn't realize this guy would be talking about both types of, you know, Willy Wonka's. And, and he's, 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 he's treating them both with respect. Most most, uh, most people I encounter that Wonka, Wonka enthusiasts are big on the either or, all or nothing. Traditionalists versus nouveau nouveau Wonkaists, and I say this guy's—he's just going to talk about it in a, in a lulling, soothing way. Maybe mine it to distract me, and that's what I, exactly what I'm going to do, sir. Your heart, you, would you like to work for the why? Why do you work here? Because I'm part of you. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, let's just keep moving then. So I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm going to talk about the episode first. Once we get through this intro, a lot of people fall asleep during the intro. No, go go right ahead. But if you can't sleep, I'll talk about the episode. 
And it'll be, you know, I say, Jesus, what was with this? And then Tormund, you know, he put, he went right foot first. And then I noticed Shireen, and I say, now to talk about the episode, basically, I'll paraphrase some dialogue. I'll say, geez, I liked that. I don't know if I liked that. Then after that, I'll bring up what I thought about her, and I'll say, geez, you know, I thought about this. Real, real truth, I said, geez, never-ending story came up for me. So we'll probably talk about never-ending story. We'll talk about handwriting or something. I don't know. We'll see in a few minutes. You'll know. Well, no, in an hour or so. We'll talk about that stuff. And then, if you're still awake, we cap it off with a visit from Tom and Sir Pounce. And then I pray to the old gods and the new. You know, just in case. And the reason why I do this, you might say, if this is your first couple times here, you might be like, is this some sort of pr- prank? Are you trolling me? You know, saying, well. No, I'm trolling the other parts of your brain. The trolls of your brain. I mean, this is, this is I usually try to come up with some uh, obscure, senseless metaphor. And here's the one for it. And I say, hey, trolls, come on. I got a new bridge here I've been building. The bridge to sleep. I mean, the bridge to exciting boredom. It's, it's a room. I've designed it's troll, troll-friendly design. And they say, there's no such thing as troll. What kind? And I say, hey, come on down, come on down. I got uh, I got all the billy goats lined up to be crossing this bridge. Except for the biggest billy boat goat gruff. But all the other gruff tro- goats. I've got, uh, you know, p- 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 travelers coming that don't know the answers to any riddles. They'll be crossing the bridge. I have different, you know, so you go around and pull some of those levers and stuff. I got buttons and levers under here for you guys to press. If you go way under, you know, that's, I call that the troll control, which just really means the place to take a nap. You have a little kitchen set up for you guys. And the best part is, guys, I'll be talking. I'll narrate the bridge in real time for you so you guys can play around. And I'll say, well... Guys walking here, and you guys just gather around and then seek those. I'll be telling stories, and, and it bridge, you know, it's, it carries great sound. And we could decide, you know, we'll have a little vote later, fee fi fo fum Or, you know, you say, well, giants say that, not trolls. I say, well, you know, trying to think outside the, outside the, under the, outside the, under the bridge. You know, we can sing some bridge-related songs. I don't know if trolls are handholders or not. And you know, I'm just here, you know, I'm like your troll troll under you know, bridge bridge council under the bridge counselor. We troll under the bridge camp. Ready are you guys ready to start? You got your bedrolls? And so while I call those trolls from your brain, you know, they say geez, I'm gonna, you know, gather around the under the bridge. We can't have a campfire down here, guys. Sorry. But we do have a convenient fire pit just steps away from the bridge. And we'll gather around there, and I'll, I'll talk, and you trolls listen. So while I call them away, I have a little secret for you. I have an imaginary... The bridge is at, you know, I, I'll narrate. The trolls are under the bridge. I, I say, geez, you really scared that guy. Meanwhile, the bridge itself is a wonderfully soft bed. You're just going to lie there. And I'll keep your trolls engaged with this totally strange, you know, concept of, you know, you know, bridge, basically troll bridge summer camp while you sleep on the bridge. But the trolls will never know. 
And then, you know, when it's like the hour they're supposed to get back into your brain, when you wake, I say, hey, guys, that's the end of camp today. Great job. Your your uh, your your keeper's coming. Your brain your brain compartment's coming to get you. That was great. You know, here's some you know here here's some crafts and arts and crafts we worked on. See you guys tomorrow night. So that's it. You know, we here at the uh, Wilder Depp Corporation we 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 sponsor uh, brain troll summer camps for for brain trolls. You know, I don't know if there's any. Brain, brain trolls already have a lot of privilege, so we're gonna we're gonna make them think they have more privilege, but we're not gonna really give it to them. But it'll be fun for them too, believe me. There I go. So that's the podcast. If you say, "Geez, okay," and uh, you know, I'm here. I hope I help you fall asleep. If there's anything I can do for you, the main thing I want to do is uh, either put you to sleep or distract you from the fact, you know, just give you, you know, an hour to unwind, hour or two of uh, lulling, relaxing, unwinding time, all right? I'm glad you're here, and I do hope I help you fall asleep. All right, housekeeping. So if you, we're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Thrones episodes, as a general likes to hear. He hasn't heard in a while. Sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to get a hold of me, you can comment on the website. You can email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can get me on uh, Twitter, at Dear's Scooter, or on Facebook. And it posts uh, bloopers on Facebook and Twitter. And those are, so those are good places to get a hold of me. We also have a Facebook community. Like, uh, you, just, you just say, hey, I want to join it, and you can... The uh, quickest way to find that is sleepwithmepodcast.com slash nods, N-O-D-S. Uh, shirts should be on sale at some point on the 15th. I'm hoping I just got to hear a couple more things or around. The, you know, you'll be hearing this, I think, on the 14th maybe. I don't know. I'm not good with dates. But uh, they'll be at uh, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash shirts and uh, newsletter. I don't know. I think it's at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash newsletter or maybe new, probably newsletter or news. I'll make sure both of those go there. Uh, so that'll be like a weekly summary of the show. Sometimes it's like a one year ago. Things that I noticed when I said, oh, geez, people might have missed this. I, I don't know. I'm testing it out. See, We're seeing how that goes. And then we're still developing this uh, summer of sleep Oh, no, Sleeper Summer, that's what it's called. Summer of Sleep, that was, uh, that'd be a good one. I wish if I had magical powers, I would have the Summer of Sleep. Uh, but the Sleeper Summer's about uh, starting and finishing projects that you've been sleeping on and saying, hey, I've been meaning to do this and I haven't gotten it done or I've always wanted to get around to doing this or trying this. Here's your chance this summer, don't sleep on it. And you'll probably get more sleep from, you know, testing it out. And we're going to be encouraging other people to, you know, encouraging each other as a community. And our community outside the podcast will be like, oh, geez, Bernie, did you say you were going to, you know, learn uh, learn how to not speak with a yell? And you uh, say, she said, well, I, you know, I'd like to help you, uh, encourage you to stop yelling. Or whatever, I don't know, that's a bad example. 
It's also about sharing the things you you love that you don't think people appreciate. So you can do that. You can do that uh, on Twitter, Facebook, email. But I might have a more centralized method coming up here this week on Tuesday or Thursday's episode. But in the interest of le- like do- walking the talk, wait, is it talking the wa- walking the walk, walking the talk, or whatever they say? I said, geez, what am we going to do with Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones season ends? And Game of Thrones only listeners, you can get a hold of me. Uh, I'm I'm trying to work on that, but it, you know I have a limited amount of time to create content. So I was like, "Geez, what are we gonna do?" And I had a couple other ideas, but I have this project I've been sleeping on. To be honest with you guys, before the inception of this podcast, I had an idea. And ideally, I thought, "Jesus, make a good." I don't I don't know. I was like, "I don't know if it's a podcast or not." And then as we'd done the podcast, I was like, geez, this would be one thing I would want to do if I had more time with the podcast. And I outlined a little bit of it, and I said, well, I don't have the time or the resources to do this or to do it the way I'd want to do it with uh, bringing guests on the show or that kind of thing. And I said, you know what? I kept saying, well, this is just one day I'll do this. And then part of me was like, then something happened. There was a media announcement, and I was like, oh, boy, that kind of reintroduced the idea for me. And then I still said, well, she should I do this on the nights of the Game of Thrones? And, you, you, and then even I went back and forth. I said, another part of me was like, you mean that idea? And I said, yeah, I did, that idea. And like, oh, that's a ter- that's, that'd be terrible. So coming up on a, a couple Sundays from now, I'm going to launch this new. It's going to be it's going to be like a boring sleep podcast, but with uh, uh, but but it'll be a little bit di- and won't be that much different, to be honest. But, but I said, geez, I wanted to explore this idea. Could it be a boring sleep podcast and this other idea, or not? And so I'm going to be out there every week doing this. And, yeah, I have a little bit safer space because I have you guys. A lot of you will be asleep. So even if I embarrass myself or it doesn't meet my expectations of, like, Jesus this is what I want it to be or this is I foresee it. If it doesn't reach those expectations or I don't have the time resources to say, well, I'd like to bring on some, I'd like to do it this way and have these partnerships set up. It's not going to happen right now. I'm, I'm maxed time-wise. But should that keep me sleeping on this project, or should I just try it out? And if I fail, I fail. If it doesn't work, I'm pretty sure I could still put you to sleep. You know, I can make it lulling. And I said, well, the other stuff didn't work, but at least, you know, you you put some people to sleep and you tried. That's what the the sleeper summer isn't about. It's not the sleeper summer, super success summer, sleeper summer. Uh, You know, that would be when we got a couple, you know, 2017, that's when we start, you know, cracking more than two sleeper summer and then 2016 we'll get into you know sleeper summer seeds you know hatching but that's not an s seeds well we're sowing the seeds of sleepers i don't know it's 2017 will be the super successful sleeper summer something Anyway, I got off track there but so i'm going to launch this new project and you guys are going to be able to see how it goes for you know, for about ten minutes, or you know, or you know, some of you that listen for longer, you'll be able to see the, how the whole thing goes. And I'm excited about it. To be honest, I'm a little scared too. But I said, "Geez, I've I've been wanting to do this." 
and I had two two shows that I had in mind, and then things fell into place. So you know that that's coming up in a couple of weeks here, and it'll be a sleeper summer project for me. So, um, but you don't have to do one either. But I'd like to encourage you to, and I'd like to learn how to encourage other people as I try to learn how to be a human being and, and learn this empathy and compassion. Encouragement is another one of those things. I don't think I've got it down yet. And uh, and who, how can we lose by encouraging? Well, listen, well, don't encourage the wrong person, or don't encourage that. Oh, sorry, Nana. Don't encourage that behavior with my cats. When you leave the house, they still have... Okay, sorry, Nana. I won't do any cat encouraging. And, you know, or, you know, the naughty neighbor encouraging Nana. Okay? Okay. Move on. Okay, I'm moving on. So that's a sleeper summer update. Well, maybe we should just move into thank yous because that really... Nana killed it there. I want to thank Chris Posty Poster Center, who does our music. He's got a podcast over at soundslikeanearful.com. I want to thank uh, Scotty and Jennifer, who do our iconic artwork and are helping us with the T-shirts. Cisco Bunny for advising me on T-shirts. I want to thank our moderators, Alexandra and Laura, over at uh, sleepingpodcast.com slash nods. And when the people I heard from on Twitter this week, T, our buddy T, she submitted a postcard that like kicked. That was the uh, painting in the cell of the fuzzy pajama episode. And I struggle back and forth with this internally, whether to take a picture of it. But it was a piece of art, uh, and I, I just said, "Geez, I don't know." Uh, even though I take pictures off of Google and stuff, this was a paint, you know. Uh, so. Sorry, T, but, uh, you know, that uh, was a, a guiding image in that episode. So also I think Kimberly, Jensen, Libby, Tawny, Rebel, Eli, Brian, Irvine, Ayanna Trone, Shelly M. Those are all Twitter. Over on Facebook, we heard from Bo, Bo, Bill, 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 Bo, Bo, not Bill, Bo, it's Bo, Bo. I think. I mean, I'm terrible. Annie, Julie G, Julie O'Hare, Katie B, Kim, Kathy, Bonnie. Uh, coming in on the supportive email this week, Julie C, Faye, Lucy, Noel, Noel. An email did came from Noel. It was in. Uh, it was didn't come in. I frame. I was going to thank Jennifer, Aaron, Miss M, Alex, Laura for her. She commented on the website. Nice job, Laura. And then I made another, you guys, I made another trip to the post office box. And, you know, I might have to see, I don't, I just want to thank uh, Karen L, Christy B, Patty B, Laura, Alexandra, and Miss M, Divine Miss M. For their, their tea and then books from uh, Miss M. And there's someone who I, I did. I think there was either one or two teas I got that didn't have uh, uh, names in there. Um, I think they came from. So, so if if you sent me some tea via a third party, let me know. But, but thank you guys so much. Such a selection of tea. I, I'll be honest with you. I took the tea from the last shipment. Took the tea from this shipment. You want to talk about sleeper summer? 
I cleaned out a drawer and made it into a tea drawer. Oh, boy. You know, I'm flexing my biceps as I say this. I got a tea drawer going. But it's a good thing. Previously, a drawer had one of those things that you use to sharpen a knife, but it doesn't sharpen it. Somebody said, that doesn't sharpen a knife. It makes it truer. And I said, geez, buddy, shut up. I said, when I want to cut a tomato, I use that. So, But that thing was in one part, and then there was a bunch of plastic bags in another part of this drawer. Then there was um, some, uh, what do you call it, chopsticks and bamboo uh, skewers in the next part. It was like a sectioned drawer, perfect for tea or junk, as in this case. Then there were some coasters from Alaska somebody gave me in the next side. Then some hot cocoa packets from about uh, 1776, soy sauce, stuff that comes with pizza, um, napkins that I said, well, these aren't used, but they're crumbled up. They'll still be, you know, I can still use them. And then as I was making tea, I had a little anxiety. I said, well, geez, I got to do something with all this tea. And he says, some voice in me, some well-adjusted voice, I guess, said, hey, why don't you clean out this junk drawer, make it into a tea drawer. Sleeper summer, boom. I didn't even realize it was a sleeper summer project till just now, to be honest with you. But now I have a tea drawer, you know. And, you know, when I, when I you know, flex my buys or do push-ups, I say tea drawer. Huh. One, tea drawer. Two. And I can do my nose into the tea drawer and say, you know, we're getting a herbal. I don't know. But anyway, thank you guys so much for thinking of me. Jeez, you guys, man, I don't know. Thank you. I don't know what else to say, seriously. So that's it, and uh, thanks for listening, and let's get on to the show. All right, so uh, we're talking about Dance of Dragons tonight, and it starts out at night, and you have all these tents, and there is a winter encampment. And then you go into a red woman's tent. And I'm pretty sure, I didn't write this down, I think she had four sources of light in her uh, flaming sources of light. Maybe one was heat in her tent, but she, she suddenly turns. Her attention is caught, and then she comes with her lantern out of her tent. And she looks around, and then flames start to burst up in the tents. I watched this twice. I didn't watch it three times, so I, I couldn't follow the what was causing the flames. But it starts to spread throughout camp, and then there's chaos. And then we're at the next day. There's, like, aftermath. You see that they're kind of—it's like Stannis's camp. He's in that craggy spot uh, up in the mountains somewhere. And we have a kind of a Stannis and Stavo showdown. So I was like, you know, there's 20 guys. They were in and out before anybody could catch them. We took out our our, catapult, our siege weapons, our food, a bunch of tents, horses, you know, a lot of horses. And Stannis is like 20 guys and no one caught them. And, and I was like, hey, we're in, you know, their tur- turf. And Stannis you know, he's like, hey, lock those guards up. One of them's probably a turncoat or, or they were sleeping on duty. You know, punish him. And then Davos, our truth teller, you know, one of our truth tellers, he's true true to his truth telling form. He says, listen, I got, you know, time for me to tell you some more hard truths. I know the last episode was hard home, but this is harder than hitting home harder. He goes, we're not going to get there, bro. 
And he goes, I don't know how the hell we're even going to get back to Castle Black. And Stannis is like, there's no, I told you there's no turning back. And he goes, well, if we can't go back, we can't go forward. What are we going to do? And Stannis is like, let's eat some horse horses and we'll talk about it. And then there's this last close-up of Davos's stare there. And you can see, he's like, jeez, uh, I, I can't get, get the truth through to this guy. I'm supposed to tell him the truth. But I'm pretty sure as his hand, I'm supposed to get him to believe the truth. And so Davos is a little stuck. And the next thing we do is we, we see some feet on the ice, and then we see they're trudging, and we see it's Jon Snow and his crew, and they're going up towards the wall, and they're looking at him, and somebody's like, halt, and then you see, like, Tormund, you see the giant, you see little kids, and the wall looks incredibly dark, I, I put her, the wall looks dark, I had it incredibly just now. And Sir Alistair looks down. His hair still has it. I said, geez, how's he do that hair? Is that just bedhead? I wish I had hair like that. Or probably not, but I wish I could try it out for a day or two. Uh, but Sir Alistair looks down, and John looks, he, he sounds like, oh boy, I, look a, I feel a little worried. And then they show Ned's face, and Ned's obviously concerned. And John steps forward. He always has this grimace on his face, and then Alistair's up there staring, and then he says, open the gates. And you have John and Sam talking, and fresh snow is falling on everyone's outfits. And John's like, it's a failure. Sam's like, no, technically it wasn't. You saved that guy. And then, and then you know, he saved all of them. And John's really but buddy, you weren't there. We were, we were kind of screwed. And then I can see the looks everybody's given me. I put grim, grim knights, I think, on here. I don't know if that meant. And then Wather, I don't know what that meant either. But uh, you could see people are amazed as the giants. Maybe it's at the Knights Watch. Oh, grim knights watch. Looking on, that's what it meant. And but they're amazed when they see the giant. And we see a couple other kids, and we see the potato kid, and he still looks mad and, and hurt by this whole John being the Lord Commander. And then we see Sir Alistair's rolling with a bit of swagger, and he says, "You're gonna, you got a good heart, John. It's gonna get us all killed." And then you can't really see. I'm gonna budge through all these people, and he's like, "Get out of my way!" He starts pushing people around. And says, saying, hey, excuse me, I'm coming through. And John looks after as he walks away. It's like, kind of looks mad and thoughtful at the same time or something. And then we see a war map. And it's got some uh, flayed men on there. And a, a couple, I was like, oh, what does that mean? And it's Stannis is sitting there. And then Davos rolls in. Hey, he's like, what's up, boss? He's like, get some horses and some people. You're going on a tri trip to Castle Black. And he says, hey, tell, tell the Lord, Command, Lord Commander. He says, say it with me, Davos, Lord Commander. And Davos says, blah, 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 blah. You know, Davos does his own, he's a Lord Commander. And he says, tell him we need some food and horses here. It's my command as king. But in exchange, you know, I'll, I'll be the boss, so I'll make sure you get enough, he gets enough people to, you know, man every castle at the wall. And I was like, oh, man, there's a lot of truth this episode, Your Grace, but I'm your hand. 
I'm supposed to stick around here, you know, I'm your right-hand man. No, no, no right, no fingered right-hand man. Where's my left to any, anyway, sir? And he says, I'm ordering you, so you're following my orders. And he's like, well, why don't you send a kid or a bird? And he's like, well, what if he, I send a kid and he says he doesn't want my message? And obviously, Dad was like, well, I'm sorry, what? And uh, he, he says, you know, I need you to do it, but don't come back without some food and stuff. And he says, well, what about the queen and, and Princess Shireen? And he says, that's my family. And he says, you know, what about Shireen? He goes, this is no place for her with a siege and it's cold. And he says, uh, my family stays with me. And then I notice this is time one of two. Davos makes a very uh, stage play exit, very uh, with a flourish. I don't know if he's a stage actor, but it was he. And it's just interesting because you. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. I just noticed him exiting the scene twice. I mean, he had to exit a tent here. But if you watch it again, it's like a, a like in the script, edgy, egg, exit stage right, and he does it. He's like goes off stage almost. I thought it was cool. And then you got a shot of a food line and coughing men, and then uh, a, a guy just Davos goes by, and this guy's just got this blank stare in his face. And then Davos rolls into Sh- Shireen's. He says, "Hey, what are you reading?" She says, "Dance of Dragons." It's uh, by Maester Munkin or something. I can't remember. And he says, that sounds good. And she's like, yeah, it was like about Swan trying to take out uh, uh, Vagar with a, a mirrored shield, uh, you know, trying to hide behind it so the dragon would attack itself. But all the dragon saw was this guy holding a mirrored shield and, you know, took him out. And Davos laughs. He says, oh, and that was the end of the dragon slayer, Sir, Sir Swan. And he says, hey, I made you this this thing, this little uh, uh, wooden stag. And she says, he's great. Thank you. He says, you're welcome. And she says, will you make me a dough so he has some company? And he says, of course I will. And she says, why am I getting a present? And I realize this just reminded me of Twin Peaks. I don't know if anybody's watched, rewatched Twin Peaks, but uh, Kyle McLaughlin's character usually eats pie every episode, and he says at one time when he's eating the pie, he says, you got to give yourself a little present every day. I always loved that. But Sharon says, well, why am I getting the present? He says, so you deserve it. He goes, my son tried to get me to read, but I was too stubborn. You know, I said, and she says, why am I going to read now? I could, I could live the rest of my life without reading. And, but I, now I wish I, I I listened to him. So this is some strange amends. I'm sorry. You know, you're teaching me to be a grown-up, Shireen. It's real heartbreaking stuff. And he says, I'll be back in a couple days, and I want to hear all about this book. And she says, don't worry, you're going to read it to yourself. Yeah, oh, man. And then Davos does the second stage exit, I think this time to the left. And there's even a little tent flap sound, which was great. And then Shireen just studies her her little stag. And then we have Jamie in this gold-gilded palace. And he rolls into this meeting Duran's having. 
And Durant's like, yes, sorry, we started without you. And the first thing Jamie does is, is like, is that, he, he starts out a little bullying. He says, hey, what are you wearing there, Masella? She says, a beautiful dress. He goes, oh, is that what you call it? I thought it was a handkerchief. Aren't you cold? And she says, I'm a woman now, and this is the kind of thing that pushes daughters away from their father uncles. And he says, what's up, Tristane? How's that, uh, you know, how's it hanging when we hit you in the face? And he's like, it was nothing. And then uh, Duran's like, now this storyline, I don't know if it's going to pay off in this last episode, but I'm, I'm honestly confused by it as a... Not as a not not as a criticism, but I'm like, man, what? And again, I was a lot confused at the beginning of this season. A lot of that was revealed of people's motivations. So I'm interested to see. I don't really know a lot about this Duran, 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 and then Tristan. So so I don't I don't know. It's confused in a good way again, but because then it's like you definitely don't know what's coming when you're confused. And maybe this will explain. So he says, what are you doing here, Jamie? Jamie's like, I, I was checking in my niece. And he's like, why sneak in here? He's like, we got this snake eating a necklace. And Duran's like, I'm sorry, what? And she, Marcel's, Marcel's like, yeah, somebody stole that. And he's like, huh. And then he's like, have some food. before." You know, he's like, am I going to be taken out here? He's like, oh, no, we don't want war. You know, I've been through war. And seeing seeing the damage of it, he goes uh, to to the soldiers and the people. And he goes, I don't want to get my people involved in a war. And then our paramour, she says, no, you want to kiss some butt. And he says, yeah, exactly. Let's drink to Tom and first of his name, the king. And he says he wants his sister back, so we're going to obey him. And Tristan's Tristan's going to come with you. You know, this is an alliance I'll stand. Jamie, can I trust you? A person that's never showed any reason to trust him in all his actions, uh, who only hurts those who trust him most? He says, yeah, that sounds good. And he's like, you know, my brother was on a small council. Tristane's going to be on the small council. And he's like, we want to be in the fold here. And Jamie's like, yeah, and the paramour's like, this guy's spot. you're spineless, this guy's a traitor. And he says, listen, I, I, I care about you, but I, you, you can't keep this up. And then Jamie's like, you know, I'm going to confuse things further by showing my loyalty now. Where's, what's up with Bron? And he's like, well, we're going to, you know, what would you do if someone came? And he's like, well, you just bear, Tristan's tough. It's my fault I ordered him. And Duran says, Tristan, what do you think? you got to be a ruler. And Tristan's like, let's re- let him re- live, with, but with one caveat. And then we go back to the dungeons. And again, this is a scene that like, says reassuring but confusing. It says, uh, if we didn't already know this, hey, hey, we at Game of Thrones are in here for the long haul. So this, you know, we're building for the next season, too, because we have the two of the sisters, uh, Sand Snakes, and they're playing this uh, hand-slapping game, and, and it's like, uh, one sister's like, do you want to be humiliated or do you want the pain? And it's a very long scene, uh, and it gets rough. And you kind of feel, I don't know, you feel something. 
uh, bad for one of the sisters or angry. Or you get stirred up watching these two sisters kind of bu- one bully the other and one kind of maybe developing some uh, some confidence like her father where she says, you're going to, you know, I can take this. You're, 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 you're bullying me, but you're going to miss because I'm inside your head. And then she, 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 she punches her sister. And then they're like, hey, and then they open Bronze cell right as the sisters are about to fight each other. And she says, see you, handsome. Uh, you know, who am I? He says, the most beautiful woman in the world. And he says to the girl, he says, how's this going to go for me? Am I going to be happy at the end of the walk? He's like, you'll find out soon, buddy. And then Bron rolls back into the room where Jamie's hanging, and he's like, Prince—he uh, goes, Sir Durant, Prince Duran, uh, this is Bron of the Blackwater. He goes, they didn't realize there was any nice. He's like, yeah, just me. I kind of, you know, did a lot of stuff there. He goes, you meant Tristane. And he goes, yeah, sorry about that, Prince. And Jamie's like, well, Prince Tristane was the one who uh, gave you your freedom. And he's like, hey, thanks. Uh, how about some pie? And he's like, there is one condition. This giant guard here is going to punch you, which he does. And then Doran, Doran has a fun. He's like, well, maybe you want some soup now instead of the pie. And then we have Arya, and she's selling her cockles and working her way towards the thin man. First, she encounters some dirt bags. And they kind of a little bit of foreshadowing with the way they're, they're heckling her. But she gets ready. She's like getting her poison ready. And she's getting closer to the thin man. And then she sees a boat emptying. And she sees uh, Lord Tyrell and Sir Marin. And she just kind of walks by the thin man, like almost, in, you know, hypnotically. She locks eyes with Marin as like him and his crew come ashore. And then they meet one of the dudes from the Iron Bank, the redheaded dude. And, you know, then Mace Tyrell just starts killing it. I mean, literally killing it humor-wise. He he is awesome. And meanwhile, Thin Man's calling after Arya, but he says, uh, he says, good to see the old chaps still standing about the, the, the Titan of Bravos. And then Arya watches as they move through a couple different scenes. And there's this one scene where they're coming up into this plaza and you see the back of the Titan of Bravos over the harbor. Amazing, amazing shot. I mean, especially for, like I said, someone that's fantasized about seeing these uh, wonders of the ancient world. It was just amazing and say, just creative. Say, hey, let's let's get a backside shot of the Titan of Bravos. And I think it almost looked like he was flipping off the sea, but I don't know if that was just me. I didn't, I didn't write that down, but that's what my memory tells me. And then Lord Tyrell's not done. He's like, hey, let me get, you know, I know you run a bank. Let me give you a little speech about usury and, you know, morality of loans. He goes, you know, a lot of people think you guys are dirtbags, but I think it's nonsense. And the kid gloves, the guy from the Iron Bank's just treating him like kid, kid gloves. And Mace is like, you know, the history of, you know, taking you guys out and outlawing you, uh, cutting off your hands. And then the... The guy goes, I, I got a sense of humor. He goes, that was, must be unfortunate for the Glovers. Little, There's so many little jokes in this episode. That was a great one in context. Obviously, me retelling it's not. But Tyrell, Tyrell even tries. He's like, well, let me try a little backhanded insult. You know, if you guys, you know, why are people against you guys gambling? 
And the guy, the guy from Iron Bank's like, we're not gambling. This is a, you know, a business. He goes, you're the best gamblers in the world. You built this big, big old building. And then Arya kind of stakes out at camp. She was, at some point, she's eating oysters. At another point, she's selling oysters. I also liked, uh, I, can't, I think, how the, the guy from the bank had his hands crossed the whole time. I wrote down. I think that was about him. And yeah, Ari was eating her profits. And then if it couldn't get any funnier, they come out of a meeting or something, and Lord Tyrell is trying to teach the dude from the Iron Bank some section of a musical or a song. He's like, let's go celebrate, man. We'll do some singing. And the guy's like, no, we, we at the Iron Bank, we don't celebrate. We work. And he's like, just sing a little with me. And he's like, I'm not a good singer. And he's like, you could learn. He goes, give me a kiss by the long canal and give me two kisses in salty town for we're going to die tomorrow. The bareheaded beggar, the sing with the crown. I don't, I don't think that was, I can't do it justice. And then it's night, and Arya's still following him. She's following Marin and the boys, and they're talking about how annoying the Tyrells are. But one of the guys is like, hey, he's not a bad singer. And then Arya follows. I had one question. I was like, is, is Lana faceless, or is she? Because, you know, you kept being shots of Trent, Aaron Trent, looking at her. Or is she Arya? And they go into a brothel. And people keep trying to kick Arya out, but then she's like, well, I'm selling oysters here. And then we get this terrible scene in the brothel with Arya watching as uh, Marin talks about his, his his proclivities. And he's a pedophile, let's just say it straight up. It was also interesting because he was wearing a white leather getup that Jamie was known to wear in the past, which I thought was interesting. And he's drinking and, you know, talking. He said, Jesus. And the other guys aren't comfortable. They're like, dude, this is kind of uncomfortable. But he's like, you know, I guess you're our commander. And then finally Arya gets kicked out, but she's still trying to watch. And she can see how the soldiers are like, I don't like this. I don't like this Marin guy. And then we're back at the house of black and white. I noticed that the fire god heart, the big metal heart, was burning and pulsating. Yakin's there with a guy. He's kind of feeding him some water. And he's like, hey, what's up? And Arya's like, the thin man wasn't hungry. Uh, the thin man wasn't hungry. And then it's like, if this episode wasn't funny enough with Mace, this might be the funniest line of the season. He says, perhaps that is why a man is thin. I mean, that, oh, my God, that's great. And he said, he's like, okay, let's try again tomorrow. And he's like, you got work to do. We just, you know, took this guy for the many-faced god, so take care of that too. Girl has work to do. And then we have the scene with Duran and uh, Elias Sand. And, and this is like where I'm like, okay, what are the motivations here? Or I couldn't get everything from the dialogue, but he says, you know, this rebellion's over, swear to me. And she's so broken in this scene, and the daughters are there. And I was like, did I miss something where he put a threat on her? Or was it just the threat of, you know, is he using the girls to motivate her? Or is there something unspoken that's going on? Or even, I listened to I'm like, is there a secret message Duran's giving her? Like, so 
but she kisses a ring, his ring, and, and, and she's crying, and the girls are ashamed and angry. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this pays off. I don't think we'll get it to, to tonight. I mean, Sunday night or, you know, whatever, on episode 10. But then the next scene, we got Jamie writing. His handwriting looks a lot like mine. He's lefty like mine. And she's like, uh, nice handwriting. What are you, a four? And he's like, your maester will copy it for me. And she's like, for free? And he's like, eh, Maybe. And she's like, the queen's going to be happy to know you're bringing the da her daughter home. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you love her, huh? And he's like, well, she's my niece. He's like, she's like, come on, I'm no fool. And she's like, in this country, no one would shake their head at your love. You know, where you're from, they're disapproving of me and Oberyn. And she's like, Targary Targaryens used to get away with it. And she's like, what's acceptable... Is always changing. Who we're supposed to love, who we're, who we're not. Everyone wants to tell tell people how to manage their own personal business. But she said the thing that stays the same is we want who we want. And she goes, I know your daughter wasn't. This is where I was like, okay, where's the hidden motivation? Because she says, well, I know your daughter didn't want any of this. So I'm sorry about that. And she says, maybe you're even innocent. And then she walks out. And I liked how she moved around the room. She went and looked out the window. And, 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 and it was a beautiful scene. And then the next scene, we have uh, Shireen playing with her stag. And Stannis comes in. And she says, hey, Dad, aren't you cold? He says, eh, no. What are you reading? She goes, Dance of Dragons. I'm going to give you a couple of hints in this uh, summary of the book, Dad. Try to listen. He goes, well, what was it about? He goes, she goes, it was a story of how uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen and fought Aegon for the Seven Kingdoms because they both thought they should be king, and they forced everybody to choose sides, and it divided the kingdom. And dragons and fought dragons, and families fought families, and it was a total waste of life and a disaster for the Targaryens. They never recovered from it. The Dance of Dragons, it's an ironic title, Dad. And he says, hmm, I don't understand irony, Lord, Lord Commander. And she says, it's kind of like poetry. You don't get that either, do you, Dad? And he says, well, if you had to choose sides, honey, what would you choose? And she says, Dad, you definitely don't. I wouldn't choose sides. It's a choosing sides that screwed it up. And he says, well... Let me tell you from an adult's, confused adult's perspective, they can't hear any of the subtext you're laying on me. Sometimes somebody, uh, adults have to choose. And sometimes they don't have a choice, even though they do. They say, you know, they, 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 they stay their fears and doubts with certainty that they don't have a choice. And he goes, if a man knows who he is and, and, and what he stands for, then there's no choice. It's, it's destiny, honey. Just destiny, he pats her on, he didn't pat her on the head, but he could have. He goes, you don't have to like your destiny, you just have to, you know, accept it. She goes, it's okay, Daddy. Uh, you don't even, you don't understand what I'm saying, it, it, it's fine. She goes, I'm, I'm here to help you. And I mean, this is like tearful stuff when you're watching, especially for the second time. Is it? And she says, is there any way I can help, Dad? And then Sam says, as a matter of fact, uh... You know, uh, there is. And she says, good, I'm Princess Shireen of the House Baratheon, and I'm your daughter. 
And then he hugs her and he says, forgive me, dear. It's like, not forgivable, bro. Sorry. Sorry, not forgivable. And then we have Shireen on a long walk in the snow. And uh, she's going down this aisle. And then, boom, at the end of the aisle is the red woman, red and black woman, I guess. The red woman in a red and black outfit. She pops out at the end. And Shireen knows something's up. And then Stannis comes out of the scent. He looks mad, like crazed, not angry. Like, totally. when you see someone, we've all seen guys like this. You say, oh, boy, you, you got, I mean, seriously, you need some help, buddy. And soldiers start to look lost as they realize that uh, Shireen, the Red Woman's going to take Shireen and, and give her to the, the, the uh, and give her to the fire god. I mean, I don't want to tell the Red Woman what to do when she's doing her dark deeds, but I don't know, cleavage, she has some cleavage show, and I said, well, a little tasteless with your, your dark axe, you know, double dark. You know, and it's distracting. And at first, the mom is all fire and brimstone with Stannis. And then when she sees, uh, she, she changes her mind. And the soldiers, they start to look ashamed of what's happening. And the red woman watches with Stannis. He, do, he can't watch. And then the red woman smiles as she knows she's the one in control, the one in power of all this camp. And the mother kind of groans. And then we have this beautiful coliseum. We have this faceless harpy as a camera, just like in a sports sporting event, shoots over the, the edge of the coliseum. We see the crowd. We see the royal box. The husband dude shows up late to the, the ceremony. We have a dragon sigil. We have this great announcer, very good at projecting his voice. And this first battle is like a strong dude versus a quick dude. And they both say, you know, we fight and die for your glory, my queen. And then the crowd waits, and they're like, hey, you got to clap to start it out. And the queen's kind of... Uh, our Khaleesi, she's kind of like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into with this? But then she claps. She's wearing this interesting dragon necklace and yet another beautiful white dress. And then we get, uh, you know, a bunch of discussions during this scene about power and strength between Tyrion, Khaleesi, her, her future husband, and, uh, no, and, and Dario. And Dario's like, hey, this is the guy you want to bet on, the smaller guy. And he's kind of flirting with Khaleesi. And and then uh, the guy, he's like, we're not allowed to bet kings and queens. He's like, when I was like that, people would bet against me. He goes, don't bet against Dario Naharis. And this guy's like, I've been around here. He's like, the larger man's going to win, always wins. And then they, they kind of bully him. They're like, have you ever fought for yourself? And even the Khaleesi's like, like another man for your life? And then Dario's like, you know, I'm I'm trying to be the alpha here. You know, if you if I fought a guy like that, he goes, I have all these ways to take him out. And Dario's still flirting up, and the Khaleesi's kind of enjoying his flirtation. And all really quick, the, the smaller guy loses. And the husband is kind of grinning. And smug, and he said, Tyrion looks upset and frowns. He says, oh, you don't approve? 
And Tyrion's like, there's enough death in this world for my taste. I can do without it in my leisure time. And he goes, well, how, 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 how can you get to greatness without cruelty or death? And this is when Tyrion's kind of like uh, laying the intelligence down for everybody. I mean, I guess it's easy to miss in the crowd, but he says uh, it's easy to confuse what ought to be with what is, especially when it works for you, you know, privileged man. And he's like, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about making the normals great. And he goes, that's greatness? Or maybe Khaleesi says, that's greatness? And he goes, this is a necessity for the people of Moraine. It'll be here. It's been here before us, and it'll be here after us. And Tyrion's like, I think my dad would have liked you. And this husband, he really comes across as a know-it-all pain in the ass to me. And Khaleesi's like, one day this city's going to return to dirt. And he goes, who's going to do it, you? And she goes, if I have to. And he goes, well, how many people would you take out? She's like, if it's a good reason, as many as I need to. And he's like, these men think they have a good reason. She goes, it's not their reason, it's somebody else's. And then he starts getting really, he's like, so your reasons are true and theirs are false. He goes, you know how they think, but they don't or something. He's trying to double privilege her. He's like, you're extra privileged, intellectual privilege. And, you know, uh, birth privilege. And Tyrion's like, uh, uh, you're, you're well-spoken, but you still could be wrong. Because smart guys are just as dumb as dumb guys sometimes. Now, meanwhile, while this discussion is going back, I have four more dudes come out to fight. And there's a slow reveal when they, they say, they're staring at you, and then they say, in a Westerosi night, and he's next to some Fabio-looking blonde dude. And they're still debating. And then all of a sudden, you hear Sir Jorah's face in, in uh, I don't know what language, maybe a high Valerian, and Khaleesi falls silent, and everyone's face is stunned. It goes like, a close-up of Khaleesi, a close-up of Dario, close-up of Tyrion, close-up of Khaleesi, a shot at Jorah, then pull in for a real close-up of Jorah. All wonderful, wonderful acting here. And Jorah's look is amazing. Uh, but then Khaleesi considers what to do. Everyone's like, is she going to stop it? And she does this slow clap and a nod. Uh, or t- uh, Jorah gives this nod, a uh, resigned nod. And then Khaleesi nods. And then Tyrion kind of takes this strange, a little bit beaten posture and then the battle breaks out, and then you get a shot of Dario, like, worried or concerned, and then a shot of Khaleesi's regret, and then you get this battle with different guys, and Jorah kind of resigned to doing what he has to do, but then he comes up against this Bravosi soldier doing some water dancing, and Jorah's not doing so hot, and this water dancer's got the best of him. And then there's a couple other guys fighting in the back, and Jorah's bested. And then Tyrion's like, Khaleesi, end it, please. And then it's a deus ex uh, a monster, a giant monster guy, because he saves Jorah, a guy with a giant spear or pike or something. And they're fighting, and then Jorah does this barrel into him. And then let me see if I can read my writing. There's a breath... And there's a lot of booze, heavy, heavy booze. And Khaleesi's got this cold look on her face. 
I rewatched this a few times. All of a sudden, Jorah's eyes just go wide with some sort of danger, and he grabs a spear, and everyone's like, oh, my God. Even for, for me, twice, I was like, Jorah, no. And he throws the spear, and it's because the son of Harpy has appeared behind the Khaleesi. And then this chant music starts, and all these Harpy, sons of the Harpy, appear. And Dario's like, protect your queen, and total chaos breaks out. Jorah jumps up. Him and Dario are trying to defend the Khaleesi. Her future husband gets taken out. There's like this slow music. And uh, Jorah reaches, he, he reaches out his hand. He's gotten his redemption. He reaches out his terribly infected hand to the Khaleesi. He says, here, take my hand. I love you in a, an incredibly confusing way. And she says, I think you have you have redemption. And, and then they jump down. And then Tyrion saves my former former love of my life, now the love of Grey Worm's life. And then Jor, poor Jor, he cannot get in. He says, hey, come on, everybody, come this way. Strike three. He says, hey, Khaleesi, I got a way out. It's strike three. It's a trap. But he, he manages to take the guy out. It's a trap. The, the door's locked. And then we got this building panic music, and Dario says, let's try this way, and then tons of harpies pour out. And they've got a perimeter around just a few uh, a few of Khaleesi's soldiers, and Jorah and Dario are trying to defend them. And the, they start testing to see if they're going to break in. It just seems inevitable. But, you know, Dario and Jorah are still kicking some ass. But it's just too many people. And Khaleesi, you know, she seems, oh dear, and she takes the hand of uh, my sweet, sweet interpreter. And he's like, is she resigned? Or she's like, this is it. And she closes her eyes in a kind of peaceful, serene way. And I don't know to prepare or what. And then you hear a dragon call. And then you hear a dragon hiss. And then you see this burst of flames, like almost like a fire portal, and Drogon shoots through into the scene. And he flies in, he lands on these dudes, he takes out another dude, then he uses his flame powers on a couple groups of people. He's 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 in this, like, crouched position that I've seen on, like, the cover of maybe a Dungeons & Dragons manual. Very cool. And then people are throwing spears into Drogon. Khaleesi pulls one out. She says, I'm sorry, my baby. He, like, screams in her face, hey, Mom. Uh, to Khaleesi, was is really worried. And then he, after he yells at her, he says, hey, Mom, let me see. Oh, yeah, you're my mom for sure. And then more spears are coming. And then the Khaleesi becomes, like, a dragon rider. She climbs on Drogon. And it seems like things are changed. And then we have this close-up of Tyrion watching, which kind of says, oh boy, you know, I'm definitely, look what I've got myself into. Not with a joy, but with a, I think I've made the right choice here for once. I, I, I don't know, a, a really good look. And then that ends, and, and now we have one episode left. But what a gift, another season of gifts here, especially, you know, locked up uh, seriously but you know a lot of other good stuff too all right so let, let, let's uh, keep moving on all right so what are we going to talk about tonight tonight we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, gilbert and sullivan musicals 
but I didn't really realize we'd be, I was like Pirates of the Penzance or something like that. So we're going to talk about Pirates of Penzance or however you pronounce it. We're going to talk about HMS Pintafor, which are both Gilbert and Sullivan musicals or comic operas. We're going to talk about the never-ending story. The never-ending story. And then we're going to talk about uh, dyslexia and me and Jamie. All right, let's get on to the show. Okay, so when Mace, when they come out of the Iron Bank and Mace Tyrell's singing that song, I was like, of course I was laughing because it was so, I guess it was in character for Mace Tyrell, but we see so little of him. It was like, uh, it was hilarious. And then I was like, what the hell is this guy singing? Is he singing a mu- like some sort of West Rossi musical? Or, you know, some sort, where the hell is he from? The Reach. Uh, you know, and I was like, man. And then for some reason, my brain went Pirates of Penzance or Pirates of Penzance or something. And I said, I said, who who said that? And then I was like, and then I was like, I I think that was a movie when I was, I remember it being on and it was a musical and I've heard of it, you know, they talk about revivals or something or they say, you know, people quote the musical. So I said, okay. And then I then I started thinking. The next thing I thought of was Sideshow Bob, who was Krusty's uh, uh, brother, evil brother, or something on The Simpsons. And I remember him singing a musical in an episode that was structured just like the movie Cape Fear. And I was like, I think he sang from the musical HMS Pintafore. And I was like, I wonder if Mace Tyrell's singing from one of, you know, the, the Westerosi version of one of those musicals. So then when it came time to research for this episode, I said, let's look up Pirates of the Penzance. And then lo and behold, and then I was like, is that Gilbert and Sullivan? Who the hell are Gilbert and Sullivan? And then ends up both Pirates of the Penzance and the HMOS Pintafor are comic operas by Gilbert and Sullivan. And there's so much here that we're not going to have time to cover all of it. The Gilbert and Sullivan part, sorry, sirs, you, you, you know, you, you, these guys are probably geniuses from what I, little I've learned. But let's let's get into Pirates of Penzance. And I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. All right, so over on Wikipedia, the Pirates of Penzance or The Slave of Duty is a comic opera, two acts, music by Sullivan, the book, the libretto by Gilbert, and that's Arthur Sullivan and W.S. Gilbert. The opera's premiere was in New York City in 1879. It was well-received by audiences and critics, and then it had a London debut in April of 1880, where it ran for 363 performances after it played for three months in New York. The, the story is about Frederick, who is 21 years old, and is released from his apprenticeship to a band of tender-hearted pirates. There he meets Mabel, the daughter of Major General Stanley, and they fall in love. Frederick or Friedrich Frederick. He soon learns that he was born on the 29th of February, so he only has a birthday every leap year, and is indent. He's an indentured servant. It looks like. 
and he's apprenticed to the Pirates till his 21st birthday. So, I mean, wow, this is so he has to serve for another 63 years. Uh, bound by a sense of duty, his only solace is that Mabel agrees to wait for him faithfully. Pirates was the fifth Gilbert and Sullivan collaboration and introduced the much parodied Major General's song. The opera was performed by, for over a century by the Dolly Carta Opera Company in Britain and many other opera companies and rep companies worldwide. Uh, modern productions include Joseph Papp's 1981 Broadway production, which ran for 787 performances, won the Tony for Best Revival. It spawned a 1983 film adaptation. It remains one of Gilbert and Sullivan's most popular operas. Uh, Pirates was the only Gilbert and Sullivan opera to have its official premiere in the United States. At the time, American had no America had no copyright protection for foreigners. Is that even a term? Foreigners is a sounds offensive. Uh, after the HMS Pintafore achieved success in London in 1878, 150 American companies mounted unauthorized productions. Man, we're scumbags. Often taking considerable liberties with the text and paying no royalties to creators. Gilbert and Sullivan hoped to further forestall copyright piracy by mounting the first production of a pirate opera, that was my ad, uh, in America before others could copy it and by delaying the publication of the score and the libretto. Uh, they succeeded in keeping for themselves the direct profits of the American production of the Pirates opening uh, by doing it on Broadway before doing it in London. And then they also did a bunch of touring uh, groups of uh, Pirates and Pinafore. Uh, fiction and plays about Pirates were ubiquitous, ubiquitous in the 19th century. You had Walter Scott's The Pirate, James Fenimore Cooper's The Red Ro Rover, Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan had parried these ideas earlier in their careers. Sullivan had written a comic opera called The Contrabandista in 1867 about a hapless British tourist who's captured by bandits and forced to become their chief. Gilbert had also written seven, several comic works that involved pirates or bandits. Gilbert's 1876 opera, Princess Toto, the tighter character, is eagle, eager to be captured by a brigand chief. Uh, Gilbert had translated James Jacques Jacques Offenbach's operetta Las Brigands in 1871. As in Les, Les Brigands, uh, pirates absurdly treat stealing as a professional career path with apprentices and tools of the trade, such as the crowbar and the life preserver. Uh, Genesis. While Pinafore was running strongly in London, Gilbert was eager to get st started on his next project with Sullivan and began working on the libretto in uh, December 1878. He used several elements of his uh, 1870 one-act piece, Our Island Home, which had introduced a pirate chief, Captain Bang. Captain Bang was uh, mistakenly apprenticed to a pirate as a child by his nursemaid. Also, Bang, like Frederick, had never seen a woman before and was affected by a keen sense of duty as an apprentice pirate 
Okay, original production and aftermath. Pirates opened New Year's Eve, uh, 1879, and was an immediate hit. Uh, in January 2nd of 1880, Sullivan wrote his mom, The libretto is ingenious, clever, wonderfully funny in parts, and sometimes brilliant in the dialogue, beautifully written for the music, as is all Gilbert does. The music is infinitely superior in every way to Pinafore, tunier and more developed, of a higher class altogether. I think that in time it will be very popular. Shortly after three touring companies started in the United States, on the East Coast and the Midwest, and Sullivan was proven correct. Uh, critics' notices were generally excellent in New York and London. The character of Major General Stanley was widely taken to be a character of the popular General Sir Garnet Wolseley. I won't read the uh, summary of the plot so we can discover that on our own. Uh, parody. Uh, the score parodies several composers, most conspicuously Verde. Come, friends who plow the sea, and you triumph now, our, our burlesques, our burlesques of Il Travatore, one of the best-known choral, uh, uh, choral passages from the finale to Act One, Hal Poetry, is, according to Sul 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 Sullivan scholar Arthur Jacobs, a per burlesque of the prayer scene, La Virgine de Giuli and Giuli in Verde's La Foraz del Destino. However, another music musicologist disagrees. Another well-known parody number from the work is the song Coloratura, Poor Wandering One, which is generally thought to burlesque G.O.U. Junod's waltz songs. Okay, there's a lot of versions. Production history. Historical casting. Uh, cultural impact. Uh, Major General Song. Pirates is one of the most frequently referenced works of Gilbert and Sullivan. The Major General Song in particular is frequently parodied, pastiched, and used in advertising. Parody versions have been used in political commentary as well as entertainment. It's challenging patter. Its challenging pattern has proved interesting to comedians. Notable examples include Tom Lehrer's song, The Elements, David Hyde Pierce's monologue as host of Saturday Night Live. In 2010, comedian Ron Butler did a YouTube pastiche of the song as President Obama, as in character as President Obama, which garnered 1.7 million views. It also appears in the Anima Animaniacs, in episode HMS Yako and uh, Doctor Who audio, in Doctor Who and uh, Doctor Who and the Pirates, episode Studio sixty on the Sunday Sunset Strip, in the episode the Cold Opens, the cast performs uh, with with the version will be the very model of a modern network TV show. In Mass Effect Two, the video game. The character Mordun Solus sings, I'm the very model of a scientist Solarian. Uh, the song is often used in film and television, unchanged in many instances as a character's audition piece or in a school play. And Veggie Tales, Frasier, The Simpsons, Mad About You, The Muppet Show. Oh, Gilda Radner does it with a talking carrot. 
got to look that up. Home Improvement, Babylon 5, Geico commercials. So pretty popular. So that's Pirates of Penzance. I don't know what about Mace, I mean, Mace Tyrell looks a bit like a, uh, like he'd be robbed by pirates, um, or like he would, uh, well, yeah, I don't know how much he would have to do with pirates other than hiring them to do something or getting, you know, robbed by them. But then also, as I said, it reminded me of this uh, musical HMS Pinafore or more Sideshow Bob singing the HMS Pinafore in an episode based on Cape Fear. Uh, and uh, uh, I just remember that from, uh, and I said, geez, is Mace Terrell doing a little bit of Sideshow Bob doing, and I said, well, let me look up the HMS Pinafore. And literally, I said, is that a Gilbert and Sullivan again? I said, I don't even know who that is. Uh, but the HMS Pinafore or The Last That Loved a Sailor is a two-act comic opera by Gilbert and Sullivan. It ran in London starting in 1878. Uh, the story takes place aboard the ship HMS Pinafore. The captain's daughter, Josephine, is in love with a lower-class sailor, Ralph Rackstraw. Although her father intends her to marry Sir Joseph Porter, First Lord of the Admiralty. She abides by her father's wishes at first, but Sir Joseph's advocacy of the equality of humankind encourages Ralph and Josephine to overturn conventional social order. Uh, they declare their love for each other and plan to elope. The captain discovers this plan, but as in many Gilbert and Sullivan operas, a supplies disclosure changes things dramatically near the end of the story. Sounds like a little bit like Game of Thrones. Uh, drawing on several of his er earlier bad ballad poems, Gilbert imbued this plot with mirth and silliness. The opera's humor focuses on love between members of different social classes and lampoons, and lampoons British class system in general. Pinafore also pokes good-natured fun at patriotism, party politics, royal navy, and the rise of unqualified people to positions of authority. Uh, the title... Of this piece comically applies the name of a garment for girls and women, a pinafore, to the fearsome symbol of a naval warship. What's a pinafore? I'll have to look that up. Uh, Pinafore's extreme popularity in Britain, America, and elsewhere is followed by success of similar series of Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance and the Mikado. Their works, later known as the Savoy Operas, dominated the musical stage on both sides of the Atlantic for more than a decade and continue to be performed today. The structure and style of these operas, particularly Pinafore, are much copied. All right, how about a little background? Uh, so, in 1875, uh, Richard Ole Descartes, who was managing the Royal Theater, brought Gilbert and Sullivan to write their second show, a one-act opera trial by jury. This was successful, and they got uh, financial backers to establish the Comedy Opera Company, which was devoted to the promotion of family-friendly English comic opera. With this theater company, Cart finally had the uh, successful uh, financial resources to produce a full-length Gilbert and Sullivan opera. 
the next opera was The Sorcerer, which opened in 1877. It was successful and ran for 178 performances. Uh, sheet music from the show sold well, and street musicians played the melodies. Instead of writing a piece for production by a theater pro- provider, as was normal proprietor, as was normal in Victorian theaters, uh, Gilbert Sullivan and Cart produced their own shows with their own support, and therefore they got to pick their own cast rather than being having to use the uh, actors that were already working at the theater. Uh, that way they could choose talented actors but who were wa- not as well-known so they didn't charge as, you know, have the high fees and they could be more natural on stage. And then they tailored their work to the ability of these performers. The skill with which uh, Gilbert and Sullivan used their performers had an effect on the audience, as uh, critic Ehrman Klein wrote. We secretly marveled at the naturalness and ease which with the Gilbertian quips and absurdities were said and done. Uh, for until then, no living soul had seen such, on stage such weird, eccentric, yet intensely human beings that conjured into existence, that conjured into existence here, hitherto known, uh, a comic world of sheer delight. Uh, the success of the, the Sorcerer paved the way for more collaboration with Gilver and Sullivan, and they began work on the HMS Pinafore. Uh, Gilbert's father had been a naval surgeon, and the nautical theme of the opera appealed to him. He, he drew on some of his older bad ballad poems, including Captain Reese and General John. Uh, some of the characters also had prototypes in the ballads, Dick Dead Eye is based on a character in Woman's Gratitude. That's a, a Vonnegut novel, Dead Eye Dick. And an early version of Rack, Ralph Rackstraw can be seen. And Little Buttercup is taken wholesale from a bumbo woman's story. You know, I'd like to see an analysis, now that I'm learning about this Gilbert and Sullivan, in the movie The Princess Bride. I'd like to see them compared and uh, what influence the Princess Bride took from Gilbert and Sullivan. It interests me. Uh, this is uh, Taking Pinafore of the United States. Uh, approximately, there was 150 unauthorized productions of Pinafore in the United States. None of them paid any money to Gilbert and Sullivan uh, because they didn't have international copyright pr- pr- protection. Uh, the first of these productions opened in Boston in 1970, 1878 and was huge, and then it was copied in a bunch of other cities. But Boston alone saw at least a dozen productions, including a juvenile version described by Louisa May Alcott in her 1879 story, Jimmy's Cruise in the Pinafore. In New York, it was all over the place, too. And then they tried, Gilbert and Sullivan in 1879 tried to run it, and it had a strong... uh, First week, but then it died off because so many people had seen the uh, unauthorized productions. Uh, initial critical reception, early reviews were favorable. The Era wrote, quote, Seldom indeed have we seen and been in the company of more joyous audience. Gilbert and Sullivan have on previous occasions been productive of uh, legitimate music. Uh, 
Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan have been on previous occasions productive of legitimate amusement. Uh, such novel forms of drollery, original wit, unexpected whimsicality, that nothing was more natural for the audience than to anticipate an evening of thorough enjoyment. Uh, the expectation was fulfilled completely. Those who believe in the power of Mr. Gilbert to tickle the fancy with quaint suggestions and unexpected forms of humor were more than satisfied, and those who appreciated Mr. Sullivan's inexhaustible gift of melody were equally gratified, while the large class of playgoers who were pleased with the brilliant dresses and charming stage effects were delighted. Therefore, it was a hit, a palpable hit. So that was from the era. Subsequent reception. So, as I said, there's a lot here, and I feel like I would like to see now both these musicals and learn more about them, but, but it sounds delightful. He's, uh, I wonder, is there a musical about Gilbert and Sullivan? Would be my next question, but I'm sure I'll find that out. Okay, what, one of the pleasures of doing this podcast is that, you know, I get to look under the, I say, huh, but I get to look under these rocks. I say, huh, like, uh, what, what, what is this here? And then I look under the rock, and then I find even more interesting things. And when the Khaleesi climbed on the back of the dragon, uh, now say what you will about green screen effects, and that she took off in the dragon, my initial, I said, is this, this is like a scene from the never-ending story. And then I said, the never-ending story, that was like some movie with a, a thing that looked like a, a, a furry dog, and there was a kid riding on the back of it. And then I said, what the hell was the plot of that movie? There's a kid riding on the back of a dog, flying dog. And that's all I remember. I said, did I see that movie? Probably. The kid might have had a red sweatshirt on. That's all, that's all I could tell you. So if, if you had me captured, and you said, we'll release you. If you could give us a plot summary of the never-ending story, I'd probably have to make it up. But I said, yeah, a kid flying on the back of a, a dog creature. Winged a winged dog. No, white long-haired dog. Yeah, that's all I could tell you. Can I get released now? But then I said to myself, uh, as I was watching our Khaleesi fly, then the Khaleesi has uh, she she well her, her she's more of a platinum blonde. This dog had more straight white hair, but she's got flowing locks. But I said to myself, uh, maybe I should look up this never-ending story. And then I look it up, and I find out some amazing facts about it. So let, let's read it. Let's go over to Wikipedia and read about it. How, what do you guys say? And, it, you know, it's going to be mind-blowing. Uh, the never-ending story in German, Die Unerlichtige, something in German, is a 1984 West German epic fantasy movie based on the novel of the same name by Michael... End day about a boy who reads a magical library book that tells the story of a young warrior whose task is to start stop a dark storm called the nothing from engulfing the fantasy world. Uh, the film was produced by Bernd Eichinger and Dieter Geisler and directed and co-written by Wolfgang Peterson, famous director, 
uh, starred Barrett Oliver and Noah Hathaway, Tammy Storch, Moses Gunn, Thomas Hill, and Alan Oppenheimer. At the time of its release, it was the most expensive film produced outside the USA or USSR. This movie was made when there was a USSR. You don't know how lucky you are. And it spawned two sequels. Uh, Ende felt, felt that the adaptation deviated from the book and requested production be halted or the title be changed. When the producers did, did neither, he sued them but lost his case. Uh, the film only adapts the uh, first half of the book and does not convey the message of the title as it was portrayed in the novel. Uh, the second half of the book would be uh, used in the second film, The Never-Ending Story 2, the story you never heard of, and The Never-Ending Story 3, the movie you didn't see. Uh, plot, and I'm going to ruin the plot on this one so I can figure out what the hell the plot was. But, I mean, just off that, it's a West German movie. And I'm pretty sure it was in the movie theater, which is like in 1984. That's pretty cool. Um, or maybe this is all propaganda. Uh, but the plot, uh, Bastian Balthazar Bucks, a triple B, so Germans, they like their alliteration too, I guess. A shy and friendless bibliophile child or reader, and uh, hides in a bookstore, interrupting the grumpy bu uh, bookseller, Mr. Coriander. He asks about one of the books, but the guy says, you know, don't read it. And then uh, the kid grabs the book. Uh, he grabs the book, uh, hides it in the attic, and the book describes the world of Fantasia, threatened by a force called the Nothing where the childlike empress who rules over Fantasia has fallen ill. She's summoned Atreyu to discover the cure. Atreyu is given Aurun. As Atreyu sums, summons out, the nothing summons Gmork uh, to go after Atreyu. Atreyu's quest uh, directs him to Morla, the Ancient One in the Swamps of Sadness, where his uh, horse is lost, Atreyu goes on alone. Did this boy come become Atreyu? Oh, no, he's just reading the book. Atreyu continues on alone, a surprise when Morla, uh, Morla reveals itself as a giant tortoise. Bastion is su su surprised by this while he's reading it. And Atreyu and Morla hear Bastion reading the book and yelling. Morla does not have the answers Atreyu needs, but directs him to the Southern Oracle, 10,000 miles away. In a walk through the swamps, Atreyu is rendered unconscious and rescued by the luck dragon Falcor. Two gnomes help restore Atreyu. They explain the oracle and the trials you got to face before you get there. Atreyu get, completes one trial, is confused by the second, a mirror that shows the true self and reveals a boy just like Bastion. Bastion throws the book aside but cautiously continues. I don't know. So he must have thrown the book aside and then kept reading. Atreyu gets past the trial, stands before the oracle, 
who tells him the only way to save the princess is to find a human child to give her a new name beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. Atreyu and Falcor then flee before the nothing. Atreyu falls off of Falcor's back into the Sea of Possibilities. Holy metaphors. Uh, loses Alrin in the process, wakes up on the shores of an abandoned town. This sounds like one of the podcast episodes. So I guess this is buried in my subconscious, too. Oh, cool. He finds a series of paintings depicting his quest. Then G. Mork reveals himself, explains that Fantasia represents humanity's imagination. The nothing re represents adult apathy and cynicism. This is kind of like the Lego movie a little bit. Upon hearing himself named Atreyu battles G. Mork, Atreyu and Aurin uh, get picked up by Falcor. Uh, fearing he fails, Atreyu and Falcor go to the Ivory Tower. Atreyu apologizes for failing. Atreyu and Falcor, oh no. Uh, the nothing starts to consume the Ivory Tower. Atreyu passes out. The Empress pleads to Bastion to give her a new name. I think I remember that. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think I remember this scene. And then Bastion shouts Moonchild. And then finds himself before the Empress who reveals his imagination can recreate Fantasia. When this is done, Bastion rides Falcor. That's the part I remember. Over the restored Fantasia. And sees Atreyu reunited with Artox. In the real world, the bullies that chase down Bastion at the start of the film get chased by Bastion and Falcor. Hi, bullies, you got chased by a furry little flying dog. Uh, to further confuse things, the narrator states that Bastion had many more wishes and adventures, and adds, but that's another story. But it's not. If it's the never-ending story, then it's just a... Man, why couldn't I have been in charge of this? It's not another story. It's just... Huh, well, actually, it's tough. It's the never-ending story. This podcast is like the never... <laughs> yeah, I guess it should have been a boring movie if it's a never-ending story. How many acts is... Uh, yeah, let me pitch you. I'm going to do a never-ending story. Okay, what? what's your act structure? Uh, never-ending. So there's that three acts or four acts? Multiple, no, multiple acts. It's a multiple act story. And uh, how many climaxes in that? Uh, multiple. It's like a tantric, tantric climaxing film. No, you know, no, you know, long delayed climax because it's a never ending story. Remember, it's a never ending story. Okay, when's the uh, act break? Uh, which act break? I, I guess. This is like uh, the most boring version of, uh, who the hell are those guys, Albert and Sul Gilbert and Sullivan? No, uh, Laurel and Hardy? No. Uh, Albert and Costello? Yeah, we got a tantric, it's a never-ending story, so there's no climax. It's just a tantric build. Yeah, no never-ending. Yeah, okay. So how long is the movie? No, it's a, it's a story. It's not a movie. It's a never-ending story. Yeah, but we're trying to make a movie. Right, right, yeah. This is the name of the movie. It's the never-ending story. It's about a boy in a red sweatshirt riding a flying dog. 
Okay, let's make that then. Forget the never-ending part. Make make sure it has an end. <laughs> okay, here's some important stuff about the movie. Uh, the film music, that's the one I remember. Uh, the film score was composed by Klaus Doldinger of the German group Passport. Uh, the theme song for the North American release of the film was composed by Giorgio Morador. Uh-oh, bump, bump, bump. Guy's name's Morador, with lyrics by Keith Forsey and produced by and performed by Lee Lima, the lead singer of Kaja Kaja Gugu, and Beth Anderson. That song, along with other techno pop songs, are in the soundtrack, but they're not in the German version of the film. Uh, that that song that I just mangled was a single in '84. It peaked at number four, 1984. La 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 mahal. It uh, reached number 17 in the U.S. and it's been covered by many bands in the United States. So that's the song. Oh, it's due critical response. Critical response, the film has a Rotten Tomato score at 81% based on uh, reviews from 36 critics and a 59 on Metacritic. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, praised its visual effects. Uh, Vincent, Vincent Canby panned the film as a graceless, humorous fantasy for children and with tacky special effects. And he said the dragon looks like an impractical bath mat. Well, how'd it do in the, uh, how's the never-ending story doing in the movie business? It'll perform well. It grossed over 100 mil against a, a budget of uh, 60 million Deutschmarks, which is 27 million in American bucks. Five million people went to watch it in Germany, which almost never happens, they said. And it did 20, minute, 20 million uh, domestically. But I don't know if that's German domestic or U.S. domestic. It grossed a similar amount in the United States, which is only a modest amount in the United States. But Wolfgang Peterson attributed that to the film's European sensibilities, which means it had a furry dragon instead of a scaled dragon. Europeans with their, you know, uh, legacy. The film has been an inspiration in popular culture. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, like I said, I remember a, a dragon... A white, I don't remember a dragon. I remember a flying dog and a kid in a red sweatshirt. And hoodie sweatshirts are still popular. Uh, Warner Brothers planned adaptation of the novel in uh, 2009. It was reported that Warner Brothers and Leonardo DiCaprio's company were trying to uh, create another adaptation of the novel. And they wanted it to be more nuanced and uh, then just remake the Wolfgang Peterson film. But then Kathleen Kennedy said in 2011 that that wasn't going to happen. So that's a little bit about Never Ending Story. A little trip back in the uh, time machine to 1984. Uh, at one point, uh, uh, Elias Sand walks in on Jamie writing a letter. And they even show his handwriting, which was a good reveal. And it's horrible. And anybody that sent anything to me... Uh, Anyone that's said anything to me has seen how my handwriting's not good. 
And Jamie, was he left-handed? Or maybe now I'm thinking about it, he was right-handed. But I'm left-handed. And uh, I remember seasons ago, Jamie was talking about learning to read and how his father forced him to learn to read despite the fact that he was having trouble. I can't remember what the... He was telling Arya this. He was saying... Uh, Tywin was telling Arya, well, my son wasn't a good reader, you know, so I forced him to become a good reader by forcing him. And I forget what Tywin's method was, but it wasn't a pleasant one. It was like, okay, maybe you should try reading for 18 hours a day. And I don't know if I've read this somewhere, but my queer reaction was Jamie's dyslexic. And as loath as I am to associate myself with Jamie, I mean, other than like, I mean, the dude is like a good looking dude and he's, you know, he looks pretty stacked and stuff. But like, other than that, you know, I don't want to be associated with him. And, uh, but, but I, I share, I said, Jesus, this is something me and Jamie have in common because I have dyslexia. And anybody listening to this podcast be like, okay, there's a couple wires crossed in this guy's brain clearly. Like, and, it may, and you're like, oh, well, maybe in a good way it worked out for us. Let's see, how do I explain this without getting too deep here? So I knew from an early age I had trouble in school, and I I, I just couldn't get, I had a lot of trouble. And the school I went to, they they didn't attribute it. They said, well, they didn't really have a nuanced version of learning disabilities there. And so they just said that I wasn't trying hard enough, just like Tywin. That's why I'm like, geez, me and Jamie can really relate. And they would say to me on my report cards, they tell my parents, like, your son has the ability but lacks the effort or lazy. And I remember at the time saying, no, I remember at the time saying, you know, mom, I said, this is physically painful for me trying to do this schoolwork. And they said, no, no, it's just, you know, you're just not trying or you got to try a different way or whatever. And then whatever, I, I uh, like, became, what happens if you have dyslexia and it doesn't, you don't get help or whatever. You, you uh, whatever, I don't know, they call, you, call, you make adjustments. You, you learn your own, you learn your way. Or you get forced like Jamie, but I'm sure Jamie, if he was like, if we we're, writing a, 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 a dissertation on this to be like, okay, well, here was Jamie's, they call it coping strategies. That's what they call it. But so fast forward as time goes by. And uh, so uh, my, my, my so I, I was always like, once I started hearing about dyslexia, I said, oh, I probably have dyslexia as it became a more uh, commonly used term. But as an adult, people say, oh, I mean, people are constantly, like, saying they have dyslexia. Oh, my back is killing me. It's my dyslexia. Or they're like, I can't figure out the tip. I'm so dyslexic. So it's kind of a degraded the term. So when I'd say it, people would just brush it off. But then my ex, my, my, my ex at the time, this was a, a while ago, but she was studying to... Uh, assess people with uh, learning disabilities and she needed someone to practice this test on it was this horribly huge test that you had to take in all these different segments and I remember after she started giving me a test she's like oh weird and then she gave me this one uh, uh, test 
and it was some word. Uh, I don't even remember the details of the test, but it was like something very, very simple, but I couldn't get any answer um, because it was made to use the part of your brain uh, that dyslexics don't process things in. And she's like, oh, wow, you do have dyslexia. And so uh, then I finally confirmed. I said, see, I told you I had dyslexia. You had to freaking go to school or not, you know, to believe me. And but but then uh, it wasn't really what's my point here. I still don't know what the hell dyslexia is, though. It's in my brain. So it was a little bit relieving to know that I technically had dyslexia, but it really didn't do me any good because it was kind of like too late. I already had my coping strategies. And, you know, it's like, okay. But then I, it's one thing about Jamie that I find. I say, geez, I feel a little bit bad for him. But, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think I'm a lot smarter than the character, the fictional character, Jamie Lannister. Because uh, he's also not, like, he has dyslexia and he's a buffoon. Like, I have dyslexia and I'm a maniac, but that's different, uh, clearly. There's, you know, some, that's nuance. That, that's what nuance is. But so a good thing about analyzing this is say, hey, let's 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 do some uh, fact-based general research based on just googling the word dyslexia and find out some more about dyslexia. So so how about we do that? So there's uh, two two places, you know, uh, there's uh, Wikipedia, but then there's a Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, and uh, let's see who owns the copyright here. I mean Yale. Uh, but the copyright is for the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, which is part of the Yale School of Medicine. Uh, and the question is, I have dyslexia. What does it mean? Talking is easy. Why isn't reading? Uh, talking is easy. Why isn't reading? Uh, eight-year-old Evan is one of the brightest children in his third-grade class. He has a wonderful vocabulary and knows everything there is about baseball. He'd even tell you who played in the last 10 World Series games. But when it comes to reading about baseball... Or anything else, Evan has a lot of trouble. It takes him a long time to read each word and even longer to read whole sentences. He often has to guess at how you say a word, and sometimes his guess is wrong. Reading out loud is especially stressful and embarrassing. His teacher recently told Evan's parents she thinks he might have dyslexia. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, most people assume that being smart is being able to read well. About a hundred years ago, though, doctors figured out that some people, even some very smart people, who really do well at many other things, have trouble reading. The difficulty with reading is called dyslexia. Uh, no one's born knowing how to read. We all have to learn. Uh, just about every person starts talking with learning how to talk. When you're a baby, you know, you listen to people talk. I'm paraphrasing here. And then you start talking. You didn't have to go to school or take talking lessons. Uh, humans' brains are just designed to make talking happen almost automatically. Reading's different. No one's born knowing how to read. We all have to learn. Uh, when you do read, your brain has to do a lot of things at once. Connect letters with sounds and put the words together and the sounds in the right order. Then it has to help you put words, letters, and paragraphs together in ways that let you read them quickly and understand what they mean. Uh, then it has to help you put letters, words, and paragraphs together in ways that let you read them quickly and understand what they mean. It also has to connect words and sentences with other kinds of knowledge, 
When you see C-A-T on a piece of paper, your brain doesn't just have to read the word cat. It has to make a connection with the definition of cat. Why do I have dyslexia? Well, it's an invisible problem. It's not an illness, like a chicken pox or a cold. In schools, your teachers might see you working hard. In school, your teachers see you working hard, but they can't see all the steps your brain's taking, especially when you have prismatic brain disorder like I do, a fictional term, a fictional disease. Uh, Many kids with dyslexia and adults, I could tell you, worry there's something wrong with their brain. Uh, That's a pretty scary thought. Thanks to research, though, we have uh, scientific proof that your brain is normal and healthy. Uh, When you have dyslexia, though, your brain takes longer to make some of the connections and does it in more steps. Uh, when When you have dyslexia, though, your brain takes longer to make some of these connections and does it in more steps, especially as trouble matching the letters on the page with the sounds those letters make. I can tell you that for a fact. And when you have trouble with this step, it makes all the other steps harder. Or in my case, you just mispronounce it or skip it. Uh, Dyslexia isn't rare. You might know other kids in your school have dyslexia, although it's not contagious. Oh, boy, poor kids. Uh, It's definitely genetic, and uh, older kids and adults can have dyslexia. What about some good news about dyslexia, according to Yale? Uh, Good news is one thing we know for certain is that uh, uh, it's one small area of difficulty uh, in a sea of strengths. Except that the one area of difficulty is based on uh, how our entire learning system is structured. Uh, having trouble with reading doesn't mean you're going to have trouble with everything. Just everything reading-based or numbered-based. In fact, most kids at dyslexia are good at other things, kid. So, you know, figure something else out. People with dyslexia are often creative uh, and develop clever skills. <laughs> clever skills. That's what it says here at Yale. It's almost pejorative. They typically develop clever skills to help them figure out words and sentences that give them trouble. Uh, Dyslexics often figure out unexpected ways to solve a problem or tackle a challenge. Yeah, usually I try to be emotionally defeated by powerlessness. Uh, And if if that wasn't good news enough, kids, did you know that uh, Captain Underpants author is dyslexic? So is Scott Adams, uh, the guy who created Dilbert, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, John Lennon. That worked out great for him. And also, it says, in the general sense, lots of famous doctors, business people, inventors, artists, and scientists. Okay, so that's a little bit. Let's go to... uh, uh, dyslexia, dyslexia Declaration of Rights, according to the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity. Every individual should have the following rights. One, accurate di- diagnosis, and that's part of the the uh, Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the IDEA Act. So that's one thing. Uh, two, they want you to use the word dyslexia. Because uh, it's evidence and get evidence-based instruction and intervention. Three, evidence-based instruction, uh, consensus-based interventions, no matter how experienced are, are proponents of the intervention 
I can't even understand what that means, dude. I can't read about dyslexia because of my dyslexia. Uh, accommodations. Accommodations. You guys hear this? You guys start making accommodations. Well, I made accommodation. Instead of having an interesting podcast, I have one that puts people to sleep. There's an accommodation. Uh, accommodations must be provided to ensure the student's abilities, not their disabilities, are being assessed. Uh, five, a dyslexia-friendly environment. Well, we have a supportive environment here. That's good. Uh, that promotes educational and professional progress. Uh, that is provided to enable dyslexic individuals to flourish to their full potential. I like that word. I love that word, flourish. Oh, wow, this is interesting. You're not alone. One in five people have dyslexia. Crosses racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic lines. Uh, you're part of the community of successful people that overcame dyslexia. Speak up about your dyslexia. So I'm going to do that right now. Uh, so I want to speak about dyslexia in this podcast, actually. I guess until this issue came up of dyslexia, thanks to Jamie, I got to thank Jamie Lannister publicly. That's So now I've associated myself with him, made a metaphor. And, and, but anyway, uh, because this issue came up, it made me think about uh, struggles I've had. Because before I started the podcast, I've talked about uh, getting more serious about writing and storytelling or whatever, trying to follow through on writing, basically. And, you know, my personal life and my actions in my personal life were not, you know, I just wasn't following through. And I was uh, uh, like, uh, so, you know, I, I wasn't in a position where I was following through, but I was also like, geez, am I, can I get, can I figure out how to translate what's in my brain and my imagination and write it out? And then I started the podcast, and I was working on the podcast, and I was also rewriting something. And I was having a lot of trouble rewriting it. But it was like a a middle rewrite, like probably like an eighth rewrite of something that I wanted to see if I could rewrite it to get it to a polish, like, like where it was rewritten. And I was like, okay, this is good or decent. And I couldn't get there. And uh, I was like, is this a... Uh, have I, am I too close to this project? Have I overwritten, like if I, have I been writing it too long? Or is it a matter of uh, I'm not able to get what is in my brain on the written page? And a lot of times you'll hear people talk about writing and they'll talk about finding your voice. And I'd kind of found a little bit of my voice through another project I was working on. But then... I still couldn't get uh, to where I could feel like my imagination could flow, like this voice that I discovered, where I could uh, express it in a clarity way. I don't know if that makes any sense because this is the crux of the problem, but it's the crux of a problem of all human beings, not just dyslexics. But then as I've been doing this uh, podcast, I've seen this new... Uh, process of creating stuff. I'm like, okay, uh, things fl can flow at different times, especially like during the trending Tuesdays or during the, like the Agatha stories recently. Those are about second or third drafts because I've written it once or twice, like in an outline sense and a little bit of dialogue. 
But as I'm doing this podcast, I've been, I guess it's not quite a coping strategy, but it's been this wonderful learning process for me. And I'm hopeful. I said, geez, well, maybe I can't be a writer or a screenwriter or whatever. Maybe that, maybe I either need to be a writing partner with somebody, but I'm not good at that, uh, boy. Um, or maybe I just keep, need to keep working till I can get uh, all the parts of the process working. But the getting it out of my brain and onto the recorded uh, thing, that, that we're getting that down with this podcast. And Jamie, you know, Jamie Lancer doesn't do that. So that's the difference between me and him. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people think about him at night. Some people think about getting him and some people think about getting with him. Um, but, you know, he, he, I don't like him. I'll be honest, you know. But I guess I'm tied to him in some strange way. So but that's a little bit about dyslexia. And if you want to know more, I'm not kidding, email me. You know, if if you do have dyslexia, you're like, man, uh, I hope I, I hope I've treated it with enough sensitivity. I don't think I have, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it kind of sucks. But you adjust. Uh, I think for me, it's a lot of sight words, and then just, I mean, with this podcast, it's like, okay, I can get lost or stumble. It's a safe place, and then non-sight words, uh, non-sight words. It's just a matter of, like, I don't have the phonemic ability or whatever, phonemic awareness or whatever the hell it is. I mean, I can just say, with the podcast, I have the freedom to just say whatever the hell that is. But I don't have the ability to sound out words. And that part of my brain just is, I mean, one thing I've learned about dyslexia is that the phonemic part of your brain uh, doesn't work as efficiently or you're processing your phoneme stuff in a different part of your brain than the most efficient part or something. Or you just make up, like you say, well, I'm going to talk about this. I'm just going to make it up and pretend it's a fact and then hope nobody looks it up because it's so late in the podcast. And one other thing is like reading fiction, like any kind of popular fiction. I remember when I was reading these Dungeons and Dragons books in, uh, not in high school, before high school, but really it was in high school, I think, uh, early high school. But I remember talking to my friends about it, and then they would say the character's name, and I would be, I'd be like, who the hell is that character? And they'd be like, that's the main character. And I'd say, oh, geez, that's not what I've been calling him, and that totally throws me off. Um, so that could be a little upsetting when you say, Wait, wait, it's Bilbo Baggins? No, no, that that one's easy. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that uh, Gandalf. That's, you know, Tolkien. Tol Tolkien. I guess that's one. I said, what the hell is his name? Uh, but let's see, Bilbo. I'm trying to think of anybody from that Ring Wraith. That's two sight words combined together. Is there one from that? But Sam, Sam, that's an easy one. Sam Wise, that's that's two sight words. Sam, maybe uh, Tolkien was uh, dyslexic, except for his last names. I think I called him Token back in the day, because that's kind of like a sight word, like Token. Token used to add an L, but I think there's an I and an E and a bunch of other crap in there. I'm trying to think of a book. Harry Potter. That's that's Harry Potter. 
Well, so that's a little bit about dyslexia. All right. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, okay, Gemini. So, do you have uh, outlined from uh, like where we last left off last week? Oh, no, I know where we left. Oh, oh, oh yes, I know where we left off last week. Okay, you're sure? Because I, I didn't have time to do it for you. Well, what good are you then if you did not do my work for me? Well, what good, all of your class are meant to serve me. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, sir. <laughs> I'm here serving you right now, um, my grace. Your grace. Yeah, okay. So are you ready for the show, Tommy? Well, you're, you're not, I'm, you have not made me ready for the show. Okay, but we got to get, get going. I got to literally, my day is so full. We got to get the, okay, okay, well, that's not my problem. I think I will eat now. Uh, would you bring me some, no. Okay, we just do, do you want me to do the K-Bounce radio or do you want, oh, I, I think I will do it. Okay, ready? Five, four, what are you doing with your hand? When I get to three. Okay, okay. Uh, your grace, I will point at you when you should go. Uh, we don't point in my kingdom. What, you, 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 that's uh, Pike. Hey, you, I'll point with my elbow. Oh, it's an interesting concept. Okay, ready? Five, four, three. Boing, your elbow, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another afternoon at K-Pounce Radio. K-Pounce, the radio station of best friendship. Where best friends come to entertain and set a shining example of what it means to be a best friend. Uh, K-Pounce Radio was founded... Based upon the amazing friendship of a boy, uh, Sir Tommen, and his best friend, a cat named Sir Pounce. Uh, Tommen was also Sir Pounce's best friend. R- right, Sir Pounce? Right, Sir Pounce. Did you say ice boiled? And uh, well, that is why I keep on. And we're here to prevent, present, present another afternoon theater uh, to keep you shining friendship, ra- you know, broadcasting to shine on. With another, okay, another episode of Tommen and Pounce in Space with, with the Podman. Oh, thanks, Tom. Okay, we, 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 when we last off, off, we were headed uh, to you. We were we were headed to uh, both save and stop the Queen of Confusion because she was caught in her own web of confusion. But we needed to sneak in. And so we landed on the confusion, confusion, web of confusion base. When, when, this was when you weren't listening, though. And we dressed ourselves in disguises. It, that was partially the Podman's idea, but mostly mine. And I, we dressed as a, Sir Pounce dressed as a hat. On, on, or, or, oh, yes, Podman, your hair is so strange. Sir Pounce was the, the hair on the Podman, and uh, I was a god. And the Podman was uh, uh, suspected to be a, a, a li- liberal, liberal, you said, right? You don't say Lancelot, right? 
Libel Lannister, a, a, a character wanted by the Queen of Confusion for being so irritating, and so that's but we're on. We got to be on Harpy One, though. The show takes place on Harpy One. Okay, we'll just do all that on Harpy One then. Okay, we're dressing. Well, I'm already dressed. You could be. We're all dressed. We're just getting. Okay, Harpy One, we're getting ready to leave uh, Harpy One. We're cl- do you have our, our uh, hid- hiding? Are, are you hidden, Harpy One? Computer? Uh, Harpy One is, is hidden, sir. <laughs> we didn't do the computer voice for a few episodes. It's so good. Uh, thank you, Harpy One. How do I look as a uh, as a god? Sir, you look, uh, uh, you look just like a guard, sir. Excellent, excellent. Sir Pounce, are you ready to be uh, little Lannister, Lannister's hair on the Podman? What's the matter, Sir Pounce? Balance, sir, 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 it's your grace. Uh, it's it's his ba- balance. I think he he's afraid he can't balance on my head. And I tried to strap him on my head, and he actually clawed me because I, right wasn't right. I I know, Sir Pounce, but I was just trying to keep you up there. Uh, so I think Sir Pounce, I said, and I tried to put him around my neck like a stole, and he wouldn't do that. Right? I know you know you don't want. So what if I uh uh he could be if I carry him in my arms like a prince. So oh so gently it could be, and then I had we pretend he's my tail, the tail of my hair. Okay. So, Bounce, you'll have to close your eyes, though. Right, so, Rind, Rind. Okay, we were, what did he say, Rind or Rind? He said that sounds great. Okay, let's go. Computer, computer, come, uh, sir, come in. There's a broadcast coming in from the future. Uh, it's from, it's from, okay, okay. Who is it from? I, I ask that. Don't tell me. It's from your sister, Michelle. Mi- 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 Michelle. Correction, mi- Michelle. It was a mispronunciation of a fictional character. Okay, go ahead with the broadcast. How do you broadcast from the future? Source unknown, sir. Tommen, it's your sister, Masella, calling from the future. Okay, go ahead. You will have to choose one day between your the queen and me, me and and the and the cooler. The queen and the qu- queen, co- co- and my me. Who will you choose for the future? Is uncertain, but I'm feeling like I should call you, because the future I'm in is not great. So you know, is it? Oh dear, they're coming for me. You must choose your sister, who has been. Remember, Sir Pounce. Okay, who was that? Who was that again? Uh, that that was your sister, your grace. Okay, my sister. Was she? Where was she? I believe she's in the Queen of Confusion's headquarters somewhere, sir. Why? Uh, that was the whole thing that started this uh, series. Was the capture of your sister by the Queen of Confusion, and we're on a quest to rescue her. We got sidetracked when you blew up that universe, innocent people, and a couple other things, and then you locked yourself into your 
thinking chamber, your thinking chamber. So I think that was your, what did my sister want? Uh, she wanted to be afraid. She's afraid you're going to choose the queen. I think not the actual queen that a king would be married to, but a queen, queen you'd be married to on an emotional sense. Okay, well, uh, Hoppy One, can you activate an emotional shield on me? You know, even if it's imaginary, Harpy One. Imaginary har emotional shield, please activate. Activating emotional shields. Okay, so well, that should help, Podman. Let's go, and I'd like to roughhouse you as my prisoner. Is that okay? Okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Computer, can you? Can, oh no, 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 no! You, well, you you could ask me to ask computer. Can you ask computer if Marcel's on this base and if we could find her? Computer, can you see if you can locate my sister in case uh, we need to find her? Will do, sir. I'll contact you when I have that information. You should set off. Okay, let's go, Podman. Podman, watch this. This this way we don't have to walk off the ship. And then go through their ship for the boring parts, because I know that's the place you struggle with. So just watch what I do. Okay, your grace. So let's go, Podman. Okay, Podman, here comes some guards. Act like I'm... I'm roughhousing this man with his incredibly strange tail, boys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We are the... Uh, what, what, what guard unit are you with? Oh, I'm with the uh, exploratory guards. I just came in with this prisoner from uh, Secret Mission, boys. Don't let me confuse you. Uh, we we don't have you on the manifest. That's right. It's a secret mission. And this guy, look at his look at his how funny his hair is. Is it? It's up there. And then he has this strange tail. It's almost cat-like. Look at how it moves. And then. Uh, and then it moves. Are you noticing that, boys? We are noticing that. I need to take him to the detention unit. Could you just point me in the ways and... Uh, which key is it again? I've been gone so long. I've been gone so long that I don't remember what... Can you show me on your, your key, key machine? Uh, it was, uh, it's this one, sir. And yes, it is a strange tale. Okay, keep watching it, boys. I've got to get to the detention center. And, uh, Sir Pounce, tail weapon activate. Oh, boy. That was a great idea, Podman, weaponizing Sir Pounce's tail. Oh, yeah, thanks, sir. Okay, but can you not grab me by the neck? That hurts. Oh, no, you're my prisoner. Yeah, but the guards... Well, there's cameras. Let's keep moving. Okay, watch this. Uh, detention center, uh... Uh, Secret Agent Tom and entering with the... Remember those Secret Agent movies we watched? Okay, we're in the middle of an episode, Tom. I just love... Could we do... No, no, we're going to take... Never mind. we just got to get through these next two episodes. Okay. Okay, and then we'll do a Secret Agent show? No. One day. Okay, okay. Um, uh, Detention Center entering with a dangerous prisoner with a, a, a weaponized tail. We just learned, unfortunately, there's a couple guys back on... Uh, Whatever that was, uh, hallway 575, they got knocked out by this tail. Oh, look out, boys, as I open the door. Okay, Podman, uh, get up. Oh, no, uh, Harpy One Computer, come in. Yes, sir. Where's my sister? 
uh, she's been moved. Uh, moved where? Uh, to 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 the, uh, to, to the center of the base. Oh, okay, what's at the center of the base? The lair of the Queen of Confusion. Well, we are actually here to rescue. We didn't. We, we, okay, we'll, 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 we'll head off. Oh, Batman, I don't think we'll have time to go in the garbage like in that one move. I, I liked that part with it, but I didn't like the part with the eye. I said, no eyes watch me. Every night in my room, eyes are watching me, so I don't need any eyes in my, you know, in my leisure time watching me. No eyes watching me in my leisure time. Okay, sir. Uh, sir, what's our plan if we need to... It's probably, we're probably walking into yet another trap. Uh, if they had cameras, they know everything. Oh, yes, that's exactly my plan. You're so, you're so swift sometimes, Batman. Well, here, Batman, we're going to take a little interlude here. You know, this is the time. I, I think, I, you know, you're not going to believe this when I tell it to you. But I think it's time for me to face this problem alone. I'm going to go to the Queen's lair. And I will face the Queen of Confusion alone. I will try to deconfuse her first off and then save my sister and the Queen. Because I'd like to save them both and keep them both safe. And I've stated before, to bring the Queen of Confusion out of her confusion, she'll say, oh, thank you, Tom, and you are a man and a hero. And I know, you know, there was something involved, and maybe you should uh, have my love, Capolina's love, and your sister's love, all in healthy doses that don't feel strange. Uh, that's, that's a result I'm looking for. And I think I could do it by myself this time, Podman. Uh, you know, so why don't you and Sir Pounce, uh, let's look at this map here. Do you know how to read a map? Uh, Tom, and that's the floor, that's the pattern in the floor. Okay, well, where's a map? Because, you know, I've seen that in the movie. Okay, oh, here's a map. This is the Queen's Lair here. Okay, well, you're going to go... Wait there, that's the Queen's Lair at the middle. Hmm. Looks very ominous. With what are these things? Those are uh, I don't know. Hide. I don't know. Okay, never mind. Maybe you and Sabout should come with me, and then maybe I'll do. I'll talk to the queen. I, I don't know. Let's go. Okay, Podman. Before we enter, I can tell there's a. I think we should, Podman. I've got a plan. Yeah, let's change clothes. And I will pretend I'm, uh, Lando. Lando. Lannister. Uh, that you change it. You're just right. I'm Lando Lannister, adventurer, rogue, and you know with a long cat tail for hair. And you are Timon, or you know Timon, you know whoever, whatever, whatever. Tommen and Tommen, you're Tommen and pounces back the ship. And I'm your prisoner now. And you just act like me. And we'll open these drawers because. Of, oh, okay, go ahead. Okay, well, I gotta finish. I gotta put these pants on. They're incredibly. We're the same size. No, we're not. Will those pants fit you? No, okay. Okay, I'm ready, sir. I'm. What am I. Oh, no, no, no. You're Tommen. You're pretending to be a god. And then pull the helmet down over your eyes a bit so you can't see your face. And your hair is nothing like mine. Uh, okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, uh, okay, let me try to talk like you again. Very good, very good, Putman.
Okay, open the door. Oh, dear. Uh, we, we are surrounded. I've been pretending to be a god. And I captured this Lindo, Lando Linister, Linister, Limpler here. Hello, Queen of Confusion, and you have so many gods armed with weapons. Uh, we are at your... M I am so confused. It is so good to see you. Oh, jeez, what are you saying, Batman? Uh, you're quiet, prisoner. Quiet, quiet, prisoner. I'm so confused to see you, Queen. Oh, hello, hello, sister. You look so, so sad. Why are you standing on a net over a pit? Well, I have caught your sister, uh, Tommen. And I have now caught you in my web of confusion. And now, soldiers, you can leave us. I will deal with these. Now, who is this here with you? And where is your little cat? Well, I've left my cat as a ship queen to blow up the whole base in case I don't uh, convince you to deconfuse or to leave, leave with my sister once I save her. Well, this is pretty good, Batman. Quiet, prisoner. Oh, you're very confident in yourselves. Yeah, yes, I, yes, I am. And who's your prisoner? Well, you might remember him, uh, Mother Ami Queen. I found him in your, one time hiding in your in your bed, and I said, "Where is my mother? Where's the queen? This is confusing. It was some sort of confusion ray, and he was there." Was Batman? How did do you do? You know my a quiet prisoner, and I've captured him, but he has spent some time in a monastery, and he is a changed man, as you can see by this strange thing on his hair, and and no such things. And now we we are here to help you, Queen of Confusion. We only want to. I will send this uh, Lindo Lannister Lannister to my room. To deal with him later, after I deal with you, Tommen. Well, is it okay? One second. I am not a Lindo man, mother. It is uh, queen. It is I. You're, you're, you're a young recruit in the, the galaxy, the star, whatever force I work for, from Pyramid Base. And I just want to help you, my queen. And, uh, you know, that's all I want to do. Oh, well, you would rather help... Would you rather help me or your sister? Because in five seconds, I will fall uh, to my doom in, uh, in a, or your sister will. But neither one of us will... You know, you can only save but one. Well, I, I, I have to doubt you, Queen, because I have my cat, Sir Pounce, waiting at the ship... Who will blow up the ship in four seconds, so I don't know if you will decide to destroy. Uh, you know, I, I guess we will have to see in four. How did you do it, Padman? How do you count down? Five, one, two, five. What? And, and uh, Queen, do you want to start our counts at the same time? I do not know what you are up to, but it is, and I know that you're cat now, Tommen. Sabounce, you reveal yourself. Round, round. Well, it, it, Queen, you have one more problem. Just because my cat is on my ship does not mean I had, you know, I had, it's a ship. 
It has uh, voice-activated controls that have over the centuries been developed to something effective, not uh, defective. Well, I guess we'll have to count down then, starting at 10 to, to be... When, and you can, okay, computer, sync your countdown uh, to one second after the queen. No, no, it's happened one second before. Uh, well, why? What? Yeah, one second before. Okay. I trust you. You're my advisor. What is your advisor, sir? I have to tell you to stand. Uh, when we when you get to three, stand down, and then we'll, we'll... Okay, and then what? And then I'll tell you some hard truths. Next episode, maybe. Oh, so cut to that. But okay. Okay, Queen, let's go ahead, ship. You heard the pot man one second before. Before. Why don't I? When I, I, I don't know. When, when, blow, up, blow up the ship with one second. Two seconds left in the countdown, we'll say. I blow up the ship with two seconds left in the countdown. Queen, are you ready? Well, I'm going to start counting at eight then. Well, I'll start counting at seven. Well, I'll start counting at six. Well, I may, I may start... Counting at five, but we will see, ladies and gentlemen. Not this week, but maybe next week. Who will start counting first? When will the destruction be triggered? Or will Sir Tommen, uh, recruit space recruit Tommen hold his breath and solve everything with some stroke of brilliance or speech from his heart to his sister and the Queen of Confusion and save the day? Will best friendship and love win? Or will, you know, whatever you call what's going on win? We will find out soon. On Go Podman. Diamond and Bounce in Space. With the Podman. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good Podman. I just don't know what to do to end it. Well, if we got a week. Okay, so you better get working. I still have a ton of other podcast work to do, and I have two other episodes that Okay, well, yes, you get rid of it, and good day. I'm going to go take a nap and eat chickens, as I love to do. Okay, good day, Padman. All right, thank you. That was a, oh, we got to sign off, Tom. Oh, just a, that was another, thank you for joining us on another afternoon of Tom and in Pounce in Space, presented by Cape Pounce Radio. Radio, best friends everywhere, even in space. Cape Pounce, best friendship via broadcast. Right, well, I'll see you later. Uh, go okay, bye. I mean, may, uh, I think I'll see you later, but I'm not positive. I'll know at about 9 p.m. No, no, 10. 10.45 p.m. Okay, well, I don't know what that means, but that's fine. Uh, I'll see you later. Okay, pro- maybe. Okay, okay, whatever. Bye. All right, Sam, for my prayers. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. Uh, just call, you know, prayer in you guys, uh, barking no, nothing on that API, huh? Because I've heard a lot, I said, geez, I listen to podcasts, they say API every five minutes. And I say, you guys still know what it means, and I don't know if this is a motivation tactic, Barky. You know, I say, hey, sooner or later he's going to do it himself, which probably is not the best. I mean, I said, well, maybe I will look it up, but I'm still not going to understand it. And I don't have a brain, you know, I guess my brain, is my brain branch like a tree? All right, guys, so we've been talking about this Midler app we've been working on for uh past eight, this is the ninth week since initial 
I don't know when we came up with a name for it. I know week one we said, hey, let's get something for people to complain into. And, you know, every episode I've accidentally sung a song. Maybe maybe not every episode. And I said, geez, you know, and then I've said, hey, cats, I don't know. Are we going to get rich? And I said, well, probably not. Are we going to get uh, a purchase? Well, you know, maybe not. Is this, you know, am I delusional, you know, or can we use this to help humanity? Who knows? Uh, are the gods going to do anything, you know, at all to help me? I mean, you say, yeah, you, you know, keep it keep it up, buddy. Keep it, keep the complaining up, Midler. And I say, well, gods, uh, you know, I've been thinking... Well, I haven't been, to be honest, guys, I've been, uh, you know, Midler's not been on my brain. I mean, I guess I've been, like, totally, totally Midler, and I say, geez, I'm so sick of that. Midler this, Midler that. And then I said, okay, let's, let's re-is this going to hurt Bad Midler's feelings? Probably she won't hear about it, so that's point one. Point two, Bad Midler seems like she's got a good sense of humor, so, point two, you know, no. Uh, point three, uh, Bette Miller's not really known for complaining. I don't know if I've ever seen her complain about anything. Even in her at, you know, I don't even know if any character Bette Midler's played has complained. So, no, it was Bette Midler in League of Her Own Gods. Do you know, Barky? Did you watch that? A League of Her Own? Do you know if Bette Midler's in that? No, you don't know, Barky. Okay. Well, imagine that, guys. We could see sponsoring, uh, you know, like like a sports franchise. And, you know, maybe we could, well, they say the middle, you know, you know, we could be sponsoring, you know, a WNBA team live from Midler Arena. You know, and then maybe we could even get bet, you know, the opening day. They don't call it opening day in basketball. Maybe the opening night. Or first day, of the night of the season, Bette Miller could sing. And then instead of like the seventh inning stretch, we'd have the third quarter wing stretch where we play Wind Beneath Your Wings. That'd be sweet, huh? And they get the Women's World Cup going right now. I don't know why I couldn't find it on TV this morning when I was trying to edit. That was here at Midler. You know, I'd like to watch some other countries play soccer other than the U.S. and women's soccer, football, Midler. And then somebody said, maybe went and no games were being played, Midler. And I said, well, okay, point taken. Well, what was my point, gods? I don't know. I guess I'm losing hope, gods, losing, you know, dropping. I think this is a common theme here. Am I losing faith in you guys? Or losing faith in myself to carry out this Midler app. Because since I don't even know what API is, I don't even know. I said, geez, are you, is it in Swift? Should we write it in Swift? And I said, geez, I don't know. Is that complicated? Is it probably a language? So probably not because, I'm, you know, English is troubling enough for me. And, uh, you know, time-wise, guys, I need a hell of a lot more time to get this off the ground. Uh, not even to mention having to deal with some lawyers. I mean, guys, can you imagine me in a meeting with lawyers or, you know, owners of an arena or owners of a WNBA franchise? 
I'd be terrified and rageful, you know. I'd be like, I don't... It's Midler with a capital N. You can't copyright it. You trademark a name. And they say, we have the paperwork right here, sir. You know, your West Trademark Office. And they say, that means nothing to the gods old and new. You know, you know, this old shtick gods, I do that a lot. But I say, you know, we're going to take out the E and it'll be Midler. And I said, well, then it'll just be Midler. And I say, exactly. All right, next people. And they say, why are you yelling? And I say, I'm faux yelling. And they say, oh, should we faux yell too? I say, no, let's just talk in this voice. Just trying to make a point. Just make a point, gods. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know. I say, I'm doing my best. Well, I mean, I guess I'm not doing that much. I'm just, like, thinking about this Midler thing because they got all the podcast stuff to do. But let's revisit the... the, the, It'd just be nice, guys. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an app to complain into? It would be named Midler. And then you wouldn't have to be burdened by your anger, boo when you use Midler, you can go get it off your chest. No, okay. Midler to use a complaint into, and we'll alert them if you're angry. Just use Midler. Okay, I'm no... Hey, guy, Barky, you want to go see that uh, Brian Wilson movie? It's got two great actors I like uh, that I know of in it. You got John Cusack. 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 John Cusack. And then, of course, his name escapes me when the pressure's on. But he was in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. There Will Be Blood. And his name may come to me. I know it because I was saying it the other day, how much I liked his acting. And it says, geez, well, you don't you remember all your Midler. You know, I got a Midler. Here we go, guys. This is a Midler about Brian Wilson. And maybe I could package it up and then I won't be mad at Brian Wilson anymore. But many years ago, there's this thing called the Bridge School Benefit that Neil Young puts on for this school, Bridge School up in Marin, where Neil and his wife live. I believe Peggy Young. And every year they invite all these musicians, famous, famous musicians, to come. And they play a little 50-minute set, 45-minute set, mostly acoustic, usually one or two Neil Young covers, and Neil usually plays with most of them one of the songs. So lo and behold, this one year we have all these great bands that I was looking forward to seeing. I don't even remember who anymore. And you had Brian Wilson. You're like, well, you know, I like the Beach Boys, but I don't know anybody. And I think this was either right before, the, not the musical, but the album Smile came out. It might even, and again, I said, well, geez, if Brian Wilson doesn't want to do Beach Boys songs or he can't, you know, maybe stick to Brian Wilson circuit. Or maybe do some doo-wop Neil Young. But Brian Wilson comes out, and, you know, he's right, you know, he plays only Brian Wilson song, obscure Brian Wilson songs. 
which is fine if it's a 40, 40 to 50 minute set with 10 to 15 to 20 minutes for Neil Young covers. But then Brian Wilson refuses to leave the stage. He just, he gives, uh, how about one more? No one wanted one more, even after the first one. And I'm speaking Midler for everybody. And you could actually see the stage, people working on him, waving and screaming at him, uh, you know, risking their jobs and say, and even trying to get on the PA, and he'd, be like, he'd just start playing another song. And somehow I think he played at least an hour and a half. No Neil Young covers that I remember. Maybe even longer. And the, the group that got bumped was somebody like Radiohead or just Tom York. And I, you know, I never, I can't forgive him for that. I just, and, and, and no offense, he looked a little mad, mad, like mad, like Stannis level mad, like lunacy. So that's a Midler God. So it wasn't even a tirade because I'm kind of mellow right now because it's, you know, the morning and stuff. But so that's a Midler God. So I don't know if that's going to help anybody. Probably not. But, uh, but you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll forget it now. Maybe I will go see the Brian Wilson movie. Probably if it gets good reviews. And I hope it does well, because John Cusack, I feel like he's had a bad, bad, bad luck at the box office lately, and I like seeing him in movies, so. And that other guy, if I could think of his name, I'd love to, but he's he's really a likable guy. He plays a nice vulnerability. And Little Miss Sunshine had one of my favorite endings of any movie, especially when you want to, you know, do a line on Kitty City and turn Frown Upside Down. Kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, that's another one, where you say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling down. Well, hey, you got two hours to watch this movie, because you really got to watch the whole movie to get the joy out of the ending. You can't just watch the ending. Barky, have you been watching the whole movies or just the endings? Or just the tree parts where you're like, oh, you got to take a look at this tree, boys. Barky, I know you. Um, or do you guys like, watch it? we got to watch Groot dance. Does Groot dance? I think Groot dances in the movie. Dancing Groot. Um, so that's one thing. Another possible mid possible Midler gods is this Jurassic World. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I'm you know, and I haven't had this discussion. But we you know we've had it about. Um, well, I just I don't know. I'm not going to Midler anybody. I just worried that it's you know. Jurassic Park just has one of it's like that that book dinosaurs and you know it's like I can't wait to see some dinosaurs I hope it's good so hopefully I won't middler that hopefully I'll be tickled t- t- titillated like you get titillated by dinosaurs that's a little weird uh, I mean you know so I don't know guys I, I guess this is episode 9 I was supposed to have but it was sorry after that hard home where you had this peak conflict in eight, but I guess in nine we did have the uh, Coliseum scene or the Pit of Grasnack, whatever the hell they call it, or the Great Pit of Grasnack. I never found out who Grasnack is. You should have a snack company, though. Snacks by Grasnack. Uh, but I guess I'll be honest with you guys, I guess I'm feeling like this is it, you know, this is it for Midler this week and next week because since... Uh, Barky didn't follow through on API. I guess I'm following through less. It's like I have a dream of uh, having an app 
where people could complain into it and then some cool stuff happens and not just gimmickly stuff like fireworks. Oh, you complained at 50 decibels. You've unleashed the Kraken. Oh, that's a good idea, though, gods. You complained at 18 decibels. But we could tell you were really angry. You know, fireworks. In, or maybe you get Katy Perry involved and it's, it plays a Katy Perry song. And then it would be cool to have that wind beneath you say, okay, this is a new WNBA thing, wind beneath your wings in the third quarter. Stretch your wings. And then maybe at the World Cup, they only have halves. So we couldn't, they don't really have a good break. We could say, hey, at the 75th minute, you know, everybody, maybe everybody could sing it. Especially, that would be a good soccer, soccer chant, guys. Women's soccer chant. Did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I wish. They, everyone could sing that together. Uh, you know, somebody get the can, can, can Canada on the phone and see if we could get about a, a $400 million for Midler and then pay, you know, rehearse that at some games. And then, yeah, at the 75th minute of every women's soccer game, World Cup, nation, nation, all nations unite. We say to the women on the field that both actually and metaphorically they're heroes. And sing it to them. You know, maybe just the first thing, sponsored by Midler, in spirit, by our Apple. You know, we didn't pay anybody to sing because singing is free. And if you don't like the fact that we got you to sing for free, Midler it, by our app. You know, it's uh, nine, You know, maybe it's free, it's free and it's not freemium unless you want to smoke somebody and then that's like $8 million. And we go, you know, it's, you know, and then they say, we didn't smoke, you know, you pay the $8 million, we're not smoting anybody, sue us. And then you'll actually be smoted. I don't know, guys. What do you think? I think we're onto something here. We could. It, it's probably you know. I'm not saying prove prove my faith. You know, pr- prove it, and you know, I'll be faithful. But I would say, you know, if we could get people singing at these World Cup games, probably too late. To sing "Wind Beneath My Wings" at 75th minute. Or at the third quarter of WNBA games, Wind Beneath My Wings. It'd be fun. And the only and it would relieve tension. It would do almost prepare you for middling by demidlering you by singing a middler. Because I don't know if you remember Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous. But when they sang, that was a moment. They sang Tiny Dancer together. It didn't help their conflict, but for it salved it a little bit when they were able to sing Tiny Dancer together. Blue Jean Bay. Maybe that, that would be another one we could sing. Blue Jean Baby. L.A. Lady. Really needs to complain. She broke her shoelace. And fell all over the place. And was called by the paparazzi. They called her a terrible ballerina. See, you guys, I don't got the, the pipes for for that, but Mary using the Midler app. That don't bother to cry. Instead, let your anger fly. Using the Midler app. I don't know, guys. I'd split be a pitching you. So that's our plan, I guess, guys. That's a launch party. 
you know, and then they'll say Midler's arrived. And the people go, what's Midler? They say Midler, that I'm Midler and your ignorance of Midler. They say it's not ignorance, it's not aware, brand awareness. Using the word brand, Midler that, I don't, I don't like brand. Wasn't Midler your brand? No, it's the title of our app. Well, isn't a part of your brand? I don't know. I don't like the word brand, so leave me alone. And say, I liked Elton Brand and Russell Brand, but I don't like saying, oh, is it Midler your brand? No, it's our app. I'm Midlering. Well, oh, you unlocked the, uh, oh, that, that was your 500th complaint. You unlocked the Elton Brand achievement. High five from Elton Brand. So that's it, guys. Maybe that's our launch. Midler's arrived. Women's World Cup, WNBA 2015, singing Wind Beneath My Wings. In unison, only me probably, God's Barky. Uh, Crone, you probably don't like singing. You say, why can't you sing something nice like uh, Mace Tyrell does? You say, oh, God, that's, well, I guess you got a point, Crone. Maybe the Mace Tyrell could sing to you. Jester, you just, you probably would sing and laugh. You'd be full of joy. So I know I can count on you, but you probably won't show, you'd be like, well, I had a, you know, double orgy. I couldn't show up. Sorry. You know, it's my job as a Bacchanalian god. Uh, Smith, you're probably too stoic. Miller, you're busy. You say, geez, you know, I got this harvest season. You know, where harvest season was in the spring, that's a, you know, grain grinding season. I can't spare any time. You know, people are praying about their broken mill wheels. Okay, so sorry, Jester Midler. So I guess it's on me to uh, somehow launch an app, design an app, but mostly, you know, create an international movement to sing Bette Midler songs. Maybe that would be the accomplishment just by itself. But by the time, you know, a few people might hear this, and then uh, maybe the w, maybe it just had a WNBA game. Uh, oh, no, no, not Elton John, sorry. Uh, uh, did you ever know that you're my... And then the team could show, like, hero, you know, retired jerseys, uh, you know, the retired heroes from the team. I don't know, guys. I'm doing my best. All right. I'll talk to you later.